Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Moore and Connolly Football Show. It's so good to be back with you again after such a long time. My name is Tom Moore, your humble host, and joining me as always, well, as always now after a long time, it's Ollie Connolly. Ollie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. They said it would never happen. They said it would never happen, but it has. We're back. We're back, baby. We're back, baby. Do you remember um, Futurama? I don't know why this has come to my head. When Bender, did you ever used to watch that show? Of course. A show that, again, yeah. would never be allowed in 2021. Why not? I think they would they would have to do some character tweaks, I feel like. I'm I'm genuinely interested now. On who? Hermes, the crab? I think yeah, I think that I think almost like the whole structure of the universe maybe would have to change. I'm not sure. I'm interested. We can delve down that into another time. But what I was gonna say was, do you remember the episode The Sting where they go and try and harvest honey from the big killer bees out in space? Yes. And Bender comes back to the spaceship on the stinger of the Queen Bee and just gets back into the hold in time and says, I'm back, baby. That's what I think. <laughs> Anyway, but there you go. So how are things, buddy? What are you? What is new in the life of Ollie? I mean, like we were just talking off air, but you know, you were pretty much on on the verge of. You were still like single and ready to mingle, mm-hmm. and you were doing different stuff. What are you doing now, man? What's happening? Well, this is the funny thing about the show because when we first started this, which now is what it's gonna be eight nine years ago. Is it almost ten years? Can that be That's right? A- that's a freaking crazy thought. But it is. I think you're right. Yeah. And I was a, little, a wee little child. And I think you <laughs> met, married, and then had a child with your wife on the yes. show. Correct. Yeah. And now you have yeah. a second one on the way. Correct. Yeah. Due in a, on the 8th of September. Yeah. yeah. Second boy. So yeah. on the 8th. And now I met a girlfriend in a serious relationship with a house and a dog. The dog turned two today. No way. So look at us. We're all grown up adults. What type of dog is it? He's a staffy. Bruce Stuffy. Have I seen him before? I must have seen him before. Yes, pictures. probably. Yeah. 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 And what's happening? Work. What are you doing, man? What What's going on with work now? What Where can we find you? What What's happening? Well, you can still read me on the Guardian. That's, uh, that's beautiful. The main part of call. If you still are interested in buying physical newspapers every hey. Tuesday and Thursday, little banner spread, little face that you might see if you go on the the final sports page, you'll see a little face staring at you. And I will say this for the Guardian to give them credit because no other English publication would publish consistently American sports columns without mm-hmm. watering them down or saturating them. And Ed and the people who edit the British newspaper now are purely like, that's a you guys deal. Just write it as if you're writing it for the American audience and just run the thing. You know, we're not going to come in and try and explain what a wide receiver is. What is the point? If someone's reading it, you would assume exactly have some kind of care and interest in it. And usually American sports be a tiny little box in the corner, like, you know, the Lakers won the title or maybe a box score or something. And they've committed to full page spreads Tuesday and Thursday. So that's really cool. Um, But that again, that's with it being the Guardian, obviously it's more sport and culture, how society interconnects with the sporting world in America. Right. I've decided to reset up the read optional um, after having a number of conversations over this off season. And I really took a, a one-year detour. I went to do my childhood dream, which was to cover Liverpool winning a league title. Yeah, what happened with that, man? Tell me about that. That was uh, that was interesting. Uh, that was the dream, you know, meeting, talking to Jurgen Klopp and the staff is like something that will always be mm. ingrained in my mind. Winning a league title is the only thing that was ever made me cry at sports. Uh, so that was amazing. Jenny, I- I'll, pause, I'll pause you there yeah. because I I actually cried during the Euros when we beat Germany. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it was uncontrollable after the, because we never beat them. 
And it's something like in my whole, I did not think I cared that much, but I was watching it by myself because my wife was in Greece and I cried in that second goal and I couldn't stop. And then I went to see my mum and dad and I started crying again. It was, it was bonkers. Anyway, that was, that was no, a no, I, I had the same thing because I really thought I was like, well, I'm a journalist now. And, you know, I am a fan of Liverpool in the way I am a fan of no other team. It still hits me in the gut and it kicks me in the balls when another team scores, even when I pretend mm. that I'm not that much of a fan. And that was the exact same thing. I'm covering the game and I'm weeping. And that's probably not the most professional thing ever. The job was miserable, which is why I left. And I completed the task, right. which was to win. A league title. I say it like I was involved in the. Uh, so did, yeah. I was just saying, did, you a, did you get a medal? Did you get a ring? What happened? Because you're yeah. on the staff. Covering that was dream come true. Never has to be done again. I returned to the football world. I was doing scouting in the background and stuff. And then I was like, well, I'm getting back into writing about skiing stuff, which is what I love. Talk to a bunch of different companies and just so much of it. Even the companies I admire and enjoy, it is still clickbait based. As in. It's, right. you know, two for them, one for you type thing. Like, yes, you can do scheme stuff, but really week one has to be, um, you know, one of the rookie quarterbacks, something like that. And it's just not the the vibe I have anymore. It's not a need I have anymore. So I said, well, why can't I just do everything for the audience? You know, why does it have to be? You have to get it read. That's one of the misunderstood things with clickbait. The idea is to get people to click to read it. I understand. But to, to force stuff just for clicks, I'm so beyond that stage in my career. So I thought I'm just going to go independent again with scheme stuff. We're going to start the read optional newsletter. I'm going to, I'm going to send out the, the news team assemble call and ask Tom Moore to come back for, for a, a bonanza preview special uh, oh. so that we can, we can return and launch the read optional, which will be a subscription service, uh, a free column a week two uh, paid columns a week of pure nerd scheme, fun stuff. And that's the thing I'm going to try and do nerdy things that I find interesting scheme based, but not in a obnoxious jargon filled coach speak way where it's like, Oh, we must dissect rotating safeties and cover four. That is boring. And no one wants mm. that, but discussing the evolution of Josh Allen in an intelligent, informative way with some fun is the kind of thing you can do at some big media apparatus, but not with the requisite tools you need, not with the 3000 words, not with necessarily going into the detail that, that is necessary because they just want to turn it around and spin it out with a headline. Um, so that's the that's the game plan. I love it, mate. I love it. So where so we'll be able to find that? It would it be the same address as it used to be that you'd be able to go find? No, it will be thereadoptional.substack.com. Anyone listening to this podcast now, this podcast we're taping this. We should say on the twentieth of August, Friday. This podcast will come out the launch day, the sixth of September, probably. Ah. Um, so anyone- so I might. I might have two children by the time you will likely have two children. Yes. What a treat for your, your second born. You can show them this in, in 10 years and say, this was me just before. I, I was going to say, you could show this that he's not, he's not going to listen to it <laughs> two days old or whatever he is. But no, I can't, you know what? There is something about that, about having recordings like this for posterity's sake um, when you've got kids. So uh, Although you wonder whether you'd want to show them, I'm not sure uh, in the future. But I yeah, think so that a get... lot about the the early podcast boom when it was uh... Bill Burr and these guys, and some of the stuff they're saying. None of them have children, and then 15 mm. years later, when podcasts like you know Joe Rogan signs hundred million dollar deals to sell a podcast, you would never I have thought, thought you that were talk... when you did number one. When you did I thought you were talking one. about our early podcast. No, <laughs> our early podcast was some of the best ones. They were probably oh, the most were, offensive. Those were electric. Yeah. Have we scrubbed those from the archives? Yes, should we do that? You know, uh, you know what? I would I would gladly now 
go back and, and listen to some of them. And that sounds slightly egotistical, but you know, you kind of, it connects you to an earlier time. And even though everything will obviously be out of context in terms of what's happening and what we're talking about, there'd still be some enjoyment, I think, in going back and listening to those. So do they still exist or not? Yeah, yeah, they'll be up there somewhere. I'm not quite sure where they are. I can't remember where we had those at the time. Then we went to Audio Boom, so I'm not sure where they are. They, they'll definitely be around because I never took them down. I was too lazy to go and wipe stuff. So they will exist somewhere. It would be fun to do like a mystery science theatre playback, the first episode, and we just have to listen to it and just sit through it together. And you know commentate on its director's commentary on the first one. Because there will be a thing where you're like, oh, I met this this woman, Sophia. And it's good to see yeah, yeah, going yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> used to be going all right. You know, I'm not sure about it. You know? <laughs> um, but it it would be strange. And we'd I'm sure we'd have so many comments as well about just the way we talked and the cadence and the pauses mm-hmm. and the... Uh, because I think we got we got better over time, didn't we? I thought we got very good. The, the initial one will be my really bad fake American accent, which is when I was going on these radio shows in America. And my voice is still Americanized now. My girlfriend is American, which makes it far more difficult to, to drop the fake accent. But when we were first starting, I was doing these phone-in shows, you know, five or six a day, hustling, as they say to do these like nerdy radio drop-ins about quarterbacks. And I would go on and I would be so terrified of every introduction being, they would play London's calling. And then eight minutes of the 10 minute interview would be, isn't it wacky that this guy in England watches football? That would be the whole interview and about a team in London. So I decided I am going to do an American accent. So when they call, they cannot tell I'm English. And then that seeped into my entire life being a really bad fake American. Hang on a second. So your voice, because your voice now doesn't sound American at all. No, I think I've done a good job of doing the year for Liverpool. And I'm in the office every day in Liverpool. My family scouts, I think I really got back into my... <laughs> Did you start <laughs> talking like that? <laughs> yeah, I go, yeah, I love Liverpool. Like, you have fucking, yeah. <laughs> like that. That's not as far off as I wish it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean, I proper Americanized up because I was just What terrified. did it sound like? Stop, stop, stop. What, what, did it, what did it sound like then? There's no way of me doing it for you now. Um, because it was so put on and and in the, when you're doing it then when it becomes your day-to-day voice you're just talking how you think you talk do you know what I mean but was it was it more kind of was it like like northeast kind of or was it like like Boston it was or was it like Boston, New, New York but it was probably like a really brutal New York accent trying to be Boston, if I had to remember. I would I would have loved to go back and listen to them because I can't imagine what they were thinking in studio. Imagine you're in like mm. Arkansas as a radio host and you just get handed the note, this lad's calling at 12 and he calls it and his voice is like that of a 17-year-old doing a bad fake American accent. Yeah. And you think this must be a prank, but the information seems to be good. So I'm not sure <laughs> how to handle this. That's so funny. Oh my God, I wish we could find those, to be honest, more than we could find the old MCFS shows. That'd be even more interesting, mate. So what's going on with you in life? Not much, mate. You know, just, just uh, you kind of, when you have kids, you just start to exist and you exist for your kids. So there's, you don't do a lot, to be quite honest. So this is quite um, a nice distraction, to be honest. And we're just preparing for baby number two to come along. So that just involves a lot of cleaning and unpacking and tidying and all the kind of old baby stuff. I mean, it's useful that it's another boy because that makes the whole thing a bit easier in terms of clothing and stuff. Not that the baby's actually care the gender specificity of the clothing that you're putting them in but it does make things easier and we've moved we've moved to a, a bigger house now and um so yeah life has proceeded as it relentlessly does and as I'm sure you know it does it does for everyone but nothing 
particular of note to report at the moment but then i suppose having children is something of note yeah i would hope so hopefully they don't listen to that part in 10 years no exactly <laughs> yeah you were just that a would distraction be from the mundanity of life yeah are you I'm excited for this now, to yeah. go out i i i i told i was telling you before i've lost track of the number of times you know i have three really good friends that came from being listeners to this show who then we just kept up mm. and became true honest to goodness friends and the amount of times I am asked, is he alive? Is he okay? What's he doing? When will you get the podcast back together? I think people are going to be so jazzed to have you back in there, back in their ear holes for what is going to be however <laughs> long it is, two, three hour bonanza preseason special. Well, I'll, get, I'll, I'll give you this then. If, if anybody does want to get in touch, I went off Twitter and the, the main reason I disappeared off Twitter was because it was very much a an environment of just nonsense and abuse and just with the whole Trump thing. And then when the pandemic struck, I was just like, I don't actually want to be connected to the news because I, you know, an underlying health condition and all that kind of stuff. I, I just wanted to detach from it. So I got rid of Twitter. Um, but I have an Instagram and it is private. But if you're very, you know, if you're very lucky and you try and find me on Instagram, I will, I will, you know, let you do the old, old follow if you fancy it. It's mainly just pictures of my son, to be quite honest. But it's, here's my Instagram address. It's the underscore Tommy underscore more. So you can find me there um, if you really, really must. So it, it would actually be great to touch base with um, some of the listeners again. I know there's, there's some that I do have a connection with on Instagram. So um, I think Tristan, um, Still, it's on my yeah. Instagram, I think. Either not, but I've got Tristan's phone number anyway, so he talks to me on WhatsApp. But um, yeah, so many great listeners, mate. So many great memories, and um, yeah, there were some really special bonds formed that it was unfortunate to to let go. But hopefully, this goes some way to revive them a little bit. Are you ready to throw to the news? How long has it been? We have to do news, uh, right? Yeah, we have to do the news. Oh my god, the news, buddy! Let's go straight to it. Let's throw to the news. So now I've got, we're going to do this in two parts, aren't we? So this is about the NFC, this one, right? This one is, yes. Okay, so we're going to, we're going to, we haven't even said what we're going to do. Oh, we? yeah, this is yeah. a football show. <laughs> this is a football show. Yeah. How many minutes in are we? Yeah. We're going to talk about the there NFC. There can't possibly be new listeners, but if there are and they made it this far, this is not a narcissistic show where we just sit and discuss ourselves. Talk about ourselves. For 10 though. minutes. This is a football show sometimes. Yes. Sometimes, but we we are going to talk about the NFC, and we're going to talk kind of one big question for each NFC team. We'll go through that, and then we'll do another pod where we'll talk about the AFC. So, but before we do that, let's throw to some news. And the news for any new listeners—not that we've probably got, not probably got any—are just usually a bit alternative news stories. So, um, I've got some headlines here. I'll save some for the AFC show as well. But the first one I saw, Ollie, actually, was one that I saw this morning. Okay, so I want to know your opinion of this because I saw this headline and thought, now I'm not subscribed to this website. Okay, I'm not, but I know what it is because I live in the kind of general ether of the world. Okay, so it says OnlyFans to ban sexually explicit content. (laughs) Now, from reading the headline, isn't that going to be awfully disrupting for a lot of the pandemic (laughs) entrepreneurs that we have now? Do you know, because a lot of people do this, apparently. I was reading, I think like 98% of their business is adult content or comes to the guise of explicit content in some way. So they've just decided to self-combust their entire empire. It's confusing. Now, I I understand the, uh, the same thing happened to Pornhub, right? And I believe it's the 
their banking partners say they don't want any part of this business because they get called in on all kinds of charges related to consent and child pornography. So they all bail out and say, we don't want our money involved in this, which makes some sense. But OnlyFans is such a new service. Couldn't they just really quickly introduce some kind of ID law? Or do you think there would be another way around trying to stave off any kind of legal challenges to just self-combust your business is really confusing. It is. But the thing is, if it's about protecting against underage people sharing content, this is this is this is the next line, right? The second line of the headline. People will still be able to post nude content on the site. So uh, that really confuses me. <laughs> like, you either get rid of it all or you, you, you know, you have to moderate it in, in some way. But just saying you're going to block that, it, it doesn't say this is how we're going to. This is how we're going to, you know, manage it. it, it I, I don't know, mate. It now, just, I would it imagine the, the hardest thing to do in any business is to have a brand that breaks through, particularly to become an internationally recognized brand. It, there's mm. so few and far between the modern age that aren't social media based, that are like genuine international brands. Only fans did it somehow. Um, well, not somehow. They did it with porn, yeah. basically. They did it with porn. And paid porn in an era of unlimited free porn. It's a, it it's is, a it shocking odd. success story. That they, they, they've then decided, let's just torch this whole thing, shall we, guys? <laughs> that is, I mean, let's not go on to it, but I don't understand why people would be, yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> right, let's go to some news stories. Okay, so I've got, a, how many have I got here? One, two, three, four, five, six. I think I've got about six or seven. So I'll do a couple of these, then I'll save the rest for the next one. Okay, first of all, um, this news came out the other day. It says, Amazon Alexa, woman used smart speaker to tell ex's lover to go. <laughs> So apparently what happened was this is someone that she's no longer with, a boyfriend. A woman accessed her ex-boyfriend smart speaker from her home a hundred miles away to tell her his new girlfriend to leave a court heard. So she linked to his devices, um, including cameras, lights. Oh. And then she also put a, a naked photo of this guy on Facebook. So apparently, this is really weird. She used the app remotely to speak to her and tell her to get out. She then used it to turn the bedside table light on and off before posting the nude image on social media captioned, do I look fat? My daily question. Whoa, <laughs> mind blown. Uh, How crazy do you have to be? Wonderful, uh, wonderful setup for some kind of movie, some kind of revenge movie. Quite brilliant, what? really. You need some kind of poltergeist, like, is there a poltergeist thing? But really, it's the machines that are the enemy, Tom. And it's just Bezos and Alexa once more. The machines are, are growing in their intelligence. I didn't know you could do that. I thought only Russians could, could do that thing where they hack into your Alexa and they listen to your the CIA and stuff. How, do, how does a random regular well, person is, well, just use I, it as a microphone? I, 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 I have no idea. But I think she obviously had all the access still. So that's one thing. So she could do. I didn't realize you could use it as a speaker, but this guy sounds like he had every device under the sun in in his in his house. So um, let's look into that. If anybody knows how to use <laughs> how to terrorize a, your ex, yeah, please. yes, then please tell us so we can do it. Um, okay. Next news story. Obviously, you can tell these are all slightly lewd in their theme, right? Mum gets note from neighbor saying, "My kids don't want to see your ass out." Okay, so a mum had a shock when she found a handwritten note tucked under her car windscreen wiper telling her to shut your blinds when walking naked. Now, she's denied she was walking around naked. Um, and she said finding the note was bizarre. But she also said that they're lucky they caught her quite so covered up 
on that occasion and that she's very comfortable in her own skin and she has no problem in the way she looked. Now, what is really interesting is the social media reaction to this and the support for the woman for walking Mm -hmm. around however she wanted. And one woman claimed uh, this is what she would do in response to the note. I would literally wait till dark, turn on all the lights, walk into each room and press my butt cheeks against every goddamn (laughs) window with baby got back on full blast. Now That's it's her house, do. right? She can do whatever she wants in her own house within the law. Totally. I find that. Like, Where, where's, you know, you know where's the line? Where's the line, Ollie? Where's the line? You know what I have discovered? So I recently moved out of the city. I, I was a, I was a city flat liver for mm. ten years. This last three months has been the first time I have moved into a house, into like Ooh. a suburban area. Um, and and you've been uh, you've been getting your wang out. I have been getting my wang out, which in the city is completely <laughs> allowed. If anything, it's encouraged. <laughs> the differences in tone and culture are staggering. Oh, sure what, the tone and culture of your wang? Why <laughs> I, do you put like a beard on it or a little hat? When it's I'm sure you've lived in the suburbs, and this this concept. I live in, of like, I live in the suburbs. I live in the suburbs. The concepts of like a neighbor knocking on the door and that being normal. And they're like, mm. the postman left the box is jarring to me. And it takes a long, long time. And I still have not got there to reformat the idea of just smiling and waving and it not being an antagonistic yeah. thing. I am hardwired <laughs> into a city culture. So I relate to this woman entirely because I'm all about, well, it's my house. I can do whatever I want. Right. But there is an etiquette to a little, a little town, a little region that you probably yeah. have to follow. I think so. It's difficult, isn't it? Um, Because you can never quite know who's... I'm looking out my window now. You never quite know who can see you. And we're in a new build estate that was on a what was previously like a stretch of woodland. And it sits slightly beneath the roads that kind of are on the edge. And we're on the edge of the estate. And so there's a house that overlooks us quite badly. So we have to be very careful what we're doing in the lounge in the evening. (laughs) It's got massive bifold doors. Anyway, well, not been doing anything recently, obviously. Uh, Well, how did I get there? Let's move on to the next news story. Okay. Oh, right. We'll do, we'll do, um, we'll do, let's do, let's do, let's do one more. Let's do one more. Okay. This is a good one. Escaped Python bites man's genitals after hiding in his toilet. And now this was in Austria. This this seems to happen so consistently. Yeah. yeah. How would you not see the snake? The volume of snake in toilet related stories. Over the course of the MCFS, we must have had 25 stories of snakes in toilets. We hear about this more than any other relation between animal and man that I can think of is finding a snake in a toilet. I think you're probably right. Now, What's what I kind of understand it when it's in Australia or India or something like that. They're the countries when I think of snakes. Other well, um, such countries where snakes are available. Yeah, if you if you wish to um, partake in such snake genital tomfoolery. However, this was in Austria, and so there's a guy apparently that lived next to this guy who has all manner of different tropical animals, and his five foot python escaped. And he nipped off to the loo, but he got a little bit more than he bargained for. And he said he felt a pinch on his genitals. Now, this is what he said, apparently, to the, to the police. I don't know why the police were there. Um, <laughs> I would not be calling the police. So snake on my genitals, arrest the bastard. No, but a pinch sounds awfully a minor way of describing. It almost sounds spicy. It's, it's, like, it's almost it a, a pinch. pinch. Oh, hello. Bring that steak with you next time to the bedroom. But it, yeah, it sounds horrendous, but he was all right. Um, 
and it, you know, he was okay in the end. You know, his genitals came out relatively unscathed. Uh, but wouldn't this, you this, just that that has an awfully close resemblance? Remember the famous Ricky Gervais thing of like the guy would go to hospital and he claimed he fell down some ladders, mm-hmm. and that's how things get into certain areas when you yes, go to hospital. Yes. This has an awful feeling of, oh, yeah, yeah, it was in the toilet. And it be- in Austria, in Austria, yes, in Austria. In Austria, yeah. <laughs> known yes, for our snakes in toilets. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know what? It's a very interesting point. I would be, it would be hilarious to be a fly on the wall in an ER, you know, with people coming in. And I imagine, what percentage do you think of uh, ER injuries are things inserted into the anus? My, uh, my friend is a student nurse who, who had to do that during COVID. As, you know, as they move people around, she had to basically be there in the uh, ER. And she said, whatever number you think of is sexually related, times it by 10. It's at least forty people a week. Now, this was in Manchester City Centre, so it's it's a it's a more voluminous clientele, so, I guess. It's a rather s- sordid least, area of the country. At yeah. least forty a week is a staggering number uh, of sex-related issues. That's a lot, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, right. I'll leave that one there then, and we'll, we'll move on from the news. And let's start talking about football because that's what everyone came here for. Apparently, I don't know whether that's true or not. Um, let's start, and we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking the NFC. And so you're going to be able to read the listeners to this show and you know people who subscribe. They're going to be able to read stuff like this, obviously, on the new Read Optional site, aren't they? Yes, the, the, this kind of vibe, this accessibly nerdy, I think we'd call it, um, that, that's the kind of uh, a vibe and ethos we'll be going for on the site. I love it. I love it. I am going to get a subscription. Now, how much is that subscription going to cost? That's going to be, uh, well, dollars in English pounds, Tom. It's going to be a five a month, which is a pint, basically. So if you think about it, it would just be like, would I, if I had the chance, if I lived in Manchester, England, would I buy Ollie a pint and have him tell me nerdy football stuff once a month? Who wouldn't take that deal? I will not be getting a subscription. <laughs> no, I will definitely get a subscription. Yeah, and if you want to... So do you, you don't live in the city anymore, but you live in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, I live by Media City. Uh, oh, okay. You strategically placed yourself, have you? I have, yes. Very clever. Um, so if anybody wants to use, you know, hack into Ollie's Alexa and scare him and then take him for a pint, you know, get in touch with him. Uh, okay, let's go on to the preview. And of course, with the NFC, Ollie, I think it's only right that we start with the NFC North because obviously the biggest story of the offseason was in Green Bay with the whole Aaron Rodgers saga. So it's worth starting there. We will go through every team, obviously, but it's 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 probably best to start the biggest story of the offseason and the Green Bay Packers. My Green Bay Packers, as people who listen to the Moore and Connolly football show from before, will know um it was the dominant story of the offseason ollie and it was um it 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 didn't make any sense to me you know and i think that i'll just give you a bit of spiel first um obviously everyone will be aware of this if you listen to this show you know you'll be a, a, a fan of the nfl and rogers was holding out primarily because what he saw as what the way I interpret it was behavioural traits of the front office, not the players, not the coaches, not the fans, obviously, that he took as slights or disrespectful. And, and primarily we're talking about here, you can't get drafting Jordan Love and 
But I think it's it, there's a proviso with that, though. It's drafting Jordan Love and not telling him about yeah. it and not talking to him about it. It's not. I actually don't think he's got that much of a problem with the fact that another quarterback is being drafted. It's just I, not I, been... I do disagree with that. And there's a ton of grounds. Ah, okay, we can do them all. I, I think that's a nice cover shield. I don't. I think he's he's offended by the fact that he thinks he can play for six more years at an MVP level. And why, why would you bring in a new young guy? Okay. And, and it's very easy to say, like, I just wish they told me. No, no one likes when you draft a quarterback in the first round, he's playing, which means you're moving. You're moving on from Aaron Rodgers at some point. So mm. to me, I think that is a nice shield to say they didn't tell me. I think he's more bothered by things like he, he's pointed out privately before how the Saints treated Drew Brees, which was they put everything into the end of the Drew Brees era. They traded yep. draft picks. They tried to get every free agent. Their cap situation is a complete catastrophe. And every year you'd go oh, to every yeah. free agency and every podcast you listen to and every column you read would say, Saints are a mess. The cap's crushed. And Mickey Loomis found a way to say, F it. I'll find us five million in cap room. We'll just keep redoing the money. We'll just pay people signing bonuses. We'll we'll maybe give Drew a golden handshake on the way out the door. So as long as he keeps pushing his money, you know, we'll give him fifteen million dollars when he retires. They kept finding ways to be like, let's just go get one more guy, two more guys. Who does Drew want? I think it's not doing that stuff and being like, we must win now to the maximal effect. And then not talking to him, not so much with the Jordan Love stuff, but hey, which one of these receivers do you want us to cut? If you remember last year, they cut receiver. Mm. I think was it Valdez Scantling? There was one that he really no, liked. they cut, they cut, they cut Jake Kumaro. That's the one. He felt he had a really good connection with him, and they never asked him, which is yeah. just insane for a quarterback of that sense to not say which one do you feel like you have a, a rhythm with, and we'll just keep. You know, it doesn't have you don't have to say yes, we'll do it all. But at the back end of the roster like that, when it's a fifth, sixth receiver, let him have his guy. If he feels more comfortable with him, that's better. That helps you win games. That's the whole point of the thing. I would, Ollie, I would completely agree with you on that. And I, th- I think, I think you're right. There was the Jordan, there was the Jordan Love thing, but I, I think to, to to give Rogers some credit, he's not treating Love like he was treated by Favre, at least mm-hmm. for part of the time he was with Favre, which I think is really positive. Um, but it doesn't make any sense, and I agree with Rogers here, it doesn't make any sense to not just have a conversation with him. It seems strange to me that a quarterback who's tenured that long in an organisation is of that stature and of that performance level. Um, there would not be conversations with him about, you know, particularly, you know, the, the wide receivers he wants. Now, bringing Randall Cobb back in to placate him is is a very odd move because... <laughs> well, that, that was a complete... Rogers dropping his balls on the desk on day one, basically, and there was yeah. nothing else to do because this power struggle rolled so late into the season. So he's looking around, being like, "How can I score a win in the media to prove I won this thing?" Because there was no winning, and he wanted out, and he didn't win. Right? He, he did. Yeah. Didn't have the leverage he thought he had. He couldn't get out, and so the only way to score an early win was to make a Ross move happen that clearly came from him. It was Randall Cobb, and now there's talk of them bringing Clay Matthews back. What are you talking about? Clay I mean, Jesus Christ! I mean that that. Is nuts. I mean, he. Uh, oh, Jesus! It's like man. he's trying to torpedo the roster on the way out with, with his friends <laughs> from 2015. It's very bizarre. Oh God! Bring AJ Hawk back. Um, now, Jordan it, Love quickly. Uh, Jordan Love has not been at all impressive in any kind of footage. All the reports out of camp are like, "Oof, this is this is not." What did you make of the preseason last week? He's he's a really interesting guy. What What's funny about him is. Everything he does set up to throw is very, very Rogers-esque. They have very similar body movements. 
which, you know, Rogers is such almost a one-off in that respect, as in his hips are going one way and his body shape's going one way, but the ball goes the other way. So I can see how they would fall in love with him with the ability to make kind of funky off-platform throws where you're falling away from the line of scrimmage, but you can just flip it over the top. So I, I kind of get the, the sense there, but there is such a, a, a delay in, in the rhythm-based stuff. You see, like, remember he had that quick slam pass? If you remember, it was like timing drop out. You can yep. see the thought process in him where he's like, bang, the back foot hit, and there's a little hitch, and then the ball comes, and that's fine in preseason. He completes it seven, eight yards or whatever. It's just not going to work at the next level, particularly if they start muddying stuff up on the back end, and he can't read that one. He's got to come to the second one. I, I would be, I would not be I mean, encouraged at all if I was the Packers front office. This, this is a league now where you have to be ready to play year one. He's been fortunate enough where he hasn't. He probably he has this this season to, to sit and learn again, and then he'd have to go next year. And he just, he just seems he seems a long, long, long way away for me. And you know it, it, it a, a lot more than I do. But just in terms of a, a basic eye test, he didn't seem. But he's playing a preseason game against the Texans. But he didn't seem completely incompetent which is what i was expecting i was expecting because of the reports that have, that have been out there the ones that you're alluding to i expected somebody who looked like a complete headless chicken yeah and he he didn't i even saw a few plays where he clearly made a few reads and got to second third read and then you know hit a pass and he st- his movement in the pocket he stepped up a few times it was all right look you know better than i do ollie and clearly he was playing against very mediocre competition, which will have been very, very dumbed down defensively as well. So, but um, I was pleased he didn't look a headless chicken. The interesting thing, I suppose, off the back of this conversation is where do you think Rogers will be in a year's time? Because that's what's interesting now, because yeah. he's not ruling out staying there and they could keep tacking on years. Do you think he will be? I mean, it, it, that becomes the interesting question. Yeah, I think he goes year to year. Like you said, they obviously eliminated the franchise tag. He voided the final year of his contract. They gave him all the leverage. He said there's a gentleman's agreement where if he wants to get traded, they'll, they'll do it next year. Um, so it just puts it all in his hands. And it's, it's almost like a year to year free agency, even started next year as a trade wherever he wants to play. And what's interesting about next year, when he was looking around this year, it was, what was confusing was that is by far the best roster he could play on. The, totally. I know that he has a totally. front office, but they went to back-to-back NFC championships. He's playing maybe not the best football of his career. That playoff run was obviously, he was just out of his mind. He was unconscious. But in terms of blending his style with a scheme, and it's like, we'll do what LaFleur says on first and second down, and on third down, you go have some fun, Aaron. That's perfect. That's exactly what he needs at this stage of his career. And it has been such a wonderful fit. That it's kind of odd that he was like, I'll go to Denver where the defense is loaded, but it's a bit shaky on offense browsing around the rest of the selves it's like well those are quite mediocre i know he would make anyone a contender but this is a true championship roster next year you bring in the you might get the saints could be open to a trade even though their their core will probably have aged out to be honest you could get the books if brady walks away and they just become the home of the aging quarterback and say come here for two years we win championships and then retire um, you could even have a Seahawks if the russell wilson thing implodes again they do some kind of swap deal there there's there's way more um options open to him next next offseason so i think it's it's all in play and the most likely honestly is he stays there and then they get rid of everyone up top and, and gunquist and murphy and all them are, are forced out 
I, I, I see the latter as the most likely um, scenario, to be quite honest, because if he plays again like he did last year, it's, it's hard to get, you know, get rid of him. And they tried to do it. They, well, they I suppose maybe they wanted to this year. Well, no, maybe they didn't. It depends because Jordan Love wasn't I, I good enough. Mark Murphy's public statements were so bizarre for a play Very who's odd. on the MVP. It's, it, you know, Rogers gets dinged all the time for being passive aggressive, but the, the passive aggressiveness from this organization, this guy is the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation. I know the Packers like to think of themselves as just another, mm-hmm. just another sports club. And we just happen to play in the NFL and we have 2000 <laughs> owners. And it's like, this guy is running a multi-billion dollar enterprise, probably the third most valuable organization in the NFL behind the Cowboys and the Patriots. And he just goes out like a scorned teenage girl on in his blog on the website. It's like, what is happening? It's really odd. That guy, he does strike me as a bit strange. I think from somebody like a CEO in that organization as well, one of their key attributes need to be needs to be effective public speaking and public communication. And I don't feel like he has that. Interestingly, first Packers game I ever went to when, when I went to see them against the, against the Texans many years ago, I bumped into him just walking around outside the Texans ground, got a picture with him, shook his hand. He just struck me as a little bit special ah he just you know when you, you you look in someone's eyes and you're just like what's going on there there's there's it just seems a bit just strange a to me of emotionless yeah anyway what was i, I was going to say something else yeah the roster let's just snap to this season mm-hmm. as well again um offense is good i think some of the additions we made in the draft um to the line look like they might work out obviously we need to get Bakhtiari back um Funchess playing this year after opting out last year i think will be an interesting um, one to add to the mix that wide receiver core i think continues to get stronger i don't know why randall cobb would even make the roster when they've drafted amari rogers but never mind uh, and on defense you know I-, I think this could be a great season for rashawn gary um, I think Jair Alexander continues to be, I think, the best cornerback in the NFL. Yep. And there's solid players across. Just don't put Kevin King on the field. So, you know, it, there's 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 people seem to be a bit down on the Packers. And I just don't see it. I particularly don't see it in a division where realistically they're probably going to walk it. Yeah, that they should burn the field apart. I mean, offensively, they should be. Ah, the, field, the, the, the field. They burn the Justin Fields apart. We'll get to him in a bit. Anyway, go on. They should be juggernaut on offense. And defensively, all you're looking for from the Packers is two turnovers a game. Yeah. There's no need in the modern NFL. As Green Bay have had this thing your entire time of being a fan of like, can we just get a good enough defense? We have those two great seasons where they're really good. They have the collapse in Seattle. That defense was so, so. Don't. Um, oh, God. And it's like, we need to get a defense good enough to match Rodgers. It's like, well, not really. If you can get two turnovers a game, and ideally you score off one of them, either the resulting drive or a pick six or a fumble recovery, that should be enough. That should be all you're gunning for. You have the best cornerback in the game. Like you said, the front is pretty good now. It's at least, it can at least get after it. Like they have really good athletes now and they're kind of slim and exciting and, and young and modern. That's good. You have maybe the best safety in the game, Nadrian Amos. Like they might get lit up. Like you said, Kevin King, someone's going to pick on him. There's going to be guys that can get picked in that defense. They've always had, even dating back to Clay Matthews, who you know I always thought was overrated, that linebacking core always seems to be a whiff. They just have a different model to everyone else of what they want in the linebacker, even when they went to saying, we're not playing with any linebackers. That's the new model. Our linebackers are yeah. awful now. We don't play with linebackers. So uh, I do have some concerns defensively, but I think if you just get two turnovers a game, your quarterback does not turn the ball over. So you just got a two-possession advantage every single game. That would be all I would think about about us Packers. Two turnovers, and we're laughing. 
Okay, good. Let's move on for the Packers because obviously I would indulge in talking about them for a lot longer, but we must talk about the other 15 teams in the NFC. So let's carry on with the NFC North and let's go to the Vikings, who I think are a really interesting team, you know, because um, they, I just feel like they could be a complete tire fire. Is that Ollie. to do with the off the field stuff? I think that plays into it. But also, I've never truly bought into Kirk Cousins, despite the fact of some of the new weapons that he's got. Um, I, I, I don't feel like Zimmer is going to be the man to take the Vikings where they want to go. And I also think that ultimately they're going to have to get a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. But um, and this is why I say the Packers could could absolutely rinse this division. I just I don't see them as a, a legit threat in any way. Yeah, it's a tough one, I think. They should be so good offensively. They're so dynamic. Jefferson, Thielen, Cook, Smith Jr. Mm. I, I really like Kirk Cousins on the field. Um, I really do think, and we don't want to get into a vaccine thing on this podcast. No one wants to, to hear two lads from England talk about vaccine protocols in America. No. But it, it, it clearly is an issue in the locker room. That's the thing. And the NFL has made it such a case of the haves and the have-nots. And they've really made a competitive advantage to be vaccinated. That's yep. the only reason why sports writers are talking about it. It's not about it being necessarily a personal choice. And we do not know these players' health circumstances. And there are nope. health reasons to not take these, to take the vaccine. So we do not know that. But the NFL has forced this discussion by making it a real competitive advantage to be vaccinated. And you have a situation where the Vikings are jumping through so many hoops for Kirk Cousins to not have him vaccinated that it's really going to breed some kind of resentment in the locker room. You already have a coach publicly speaking out against his quarterback. When has that ever worked well? Yeah. When does never. that ever end with an America's game and the most hosting the Lombardi? That never seems to happen. Now this is such a unique circumstance. Maybe, maybe it's irrelevant once you get into week three, week four of the season. It's all just focused on football. But that you cannot talk about the Vikings without having some part of that discussion. It's interesting as well, because just on the vaccine thing, um, it's not like these are... I mean, they're all fantastic athletes, even the, the large guys. But, you know, I'm thinking there's a massive connection between your BMI and obesity and, and being a larger human being generally and the effects of COVID. And I'm not talking being six foot five and stacked. I'm talking being six foot five offensive linemen and carrying a little bit of weight as well, because they do naturally. They have to. You know, there's a lot of muscle there, but there is with a lot of people. Weight. So people are legitimately professional athletes are legitimately still at a high risk of developing complications with COVID um, that are, that are going to be on these teams. So it, it must cause a rift with, with some of those players. And again, you and I, it's not our place to comment about, you know, the moral, you know, whys and wherefores of taking the vaccine. But as you say, there is something important in all professional sport it's integral is the spirit the ethos the togetherness of a dressing room a changing room whatever it is and if it's not there then that's a big problem ollie it is and i think so much of this is going to come down to zimmer's own attitude because zimmer is, is prickly by nature and when you're winning that's fun it's kind of like the, remember the good old jim harbour days where, when he's a maniac and they're winning it's kind of endearing and he's just a bit of an oddball when you're a maniac and you're losing it becomes that knobhead who's the coach who we cannot wait to run out of town um, and this is very clearly from all the Vikings preseason statements. It's the last roll of the dice for the Cousins situation with his contract 
um, and the amount of guaranteed money they gave him. And it's very evidently the last role of the of the Mike Zimmer dice too. And can you finally put this together? They were so bad on defense last year. They finished 18th in DVOA and they got so much worse as the season went along. And I know they were hit by COVID too and they were plagued by injuries, but that team was out of its depth. And Mike Zimmer sat there in the offseason and said, we have to do something radical to try and fix this thing. And they threw so many resources at guys like Dalvin Tomlinson, bringing in Patrick Peterson, bringing back guys who were there before and Stephen Weatherly and Mackenzie Alexander. And he was like, we have to try and reboot this thing and just microwave some degree of success on the defensive side of the ball. And they're just hoping that guys like Nick Vigil, who's not been very good and is basically a rundown linebacker, guys like Patrick Peterson, who's not been good now for three seasons because he's basically cooked, can somehow put it together. Um, and I think it's a, it's a big, big ass. Now, getting Danielle Hunter back, who was such a massive loss last year when they basically had no pass rush and they had to get rid of Ngakwe uh, partway through the season, that'll be a, a huge game changer. Hunter is, is, is as close to Khalil Mack as you'll find in the NFL. So th- that is a huge, huge upgrade for them. But it's just really, really shaky. And if you're asking this team to be one that can put up 42 points a game to win, they definitely have that kind of explosive talent, but it's the consistency with Cousins that's the issue, and it's that offensive line too that has grown somewhat over the last few years, but it isn't, does not rank among the elite. Let's um, uh, let's let's pick. I think what we should do for each team is, is take a, a wild shot at wins. And remember, it's a seventeen game season now. Mm-hmm. So we said for the, I think the Packers are probably 11, 11 win team. I think, yeah, I think if they didn't win 12 or 13, they'd be disappointed. I think, I mean, okay. they should be trying to get the top seed in the NFC. They should be. And then what about the Vikings for you? Oh, man, that, I think this is so difficult. Like, it, this has real week six, a Jay Glaze report that Cousins has to sit out a game and or the, the, the locker room has turned on Mike Zimmer because someone dropped 50 on them. This has real off-the-rails off the um, vibes ran all over it but then you look at the offense and you look at Jefferson and you look at Thielen and you look at Smith Jr and you're like oh but they could yeah. also drop 35 a game and we, we could be looking them at, at six and two and saying this is a race so I, I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go oh it's hard with the 17 game season I want to say nine or ten wins and it's like right on that borderline I was gonna say nine that's where I was gonna land okay let's let's move on Ollie to a fascinating one down in Chi-Town. Chi-Town. I'm sure you said that in your American accent when you were talking to all those people <laughs> all those years ago. Um, interestingly enough, I work for a, a global business of which the headquarters in the US are in Deerfield. So I'm a Packers fan and a lot of people I'm dealing with in, are in Chicago and they're all Bears fans, which is uh, rather awkward when you're trying to get them to do something for you. Um, the Bears, it's just one thing, Ollie. It's, it's, it's just in fields. And um, it was interesting. I was talking to our CFO um, and, you know, we were talking about Green Bay and we were talking about uh, the Bears and he was delighted that Rogers hadn't shown up. Um, and he was just saying, you know, he was very, very cautious. He was not getting involved in the hype. He was, you know, quarterbacks, it's a crapshoot in the draft. They could be, you know, even if they're the most talented, it could work out, it might not. Is this finally the one that's going to work out? <laughs> I mean, I'm such a huge Justin Fields fan. I think he's one of the best deep ball throwers that's come out of the draft in recent years. You pair that with the improvisational skills and the ability to run the ball from, you know, design plays. It It's kind of that X factor that they've just never had at quarterback, whether he turns out to be a top five guy and you can have some of that kind of Deshaun Watson style where it's improvisational, but he's a great, you know, from the pocket thrower. You know, we will wait and see. 
in terms of just being a spark where it's like, go and make stuff happen for us on third down. I have no doubt in my mind that he can provide that for you, which is, mm. is all they've really been looking for, for, for my entire lifetime. So he, he walks in day one as the most talented quarterback they've had, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, the, the question of him starting and when he plays yeah. and what they do in the rookie season is really interesting. This is, you seldom have this rookie class is so interesting because you've got good teams with rookies. You know, usually you've bottomed totally. out and you're rebuilding. And this question of when they start is more about protecting them from a Joe Burrow situation, right? Where it's like, well, we don't want him yep. to blow his knee out and we want him to be good long-term. So when do we start him? How many hits does he take? How do you kind of figure out the hits versus the reps? And try, you just try and figure that out and then maybe get some signs of life so no one gets sacked and into the second season. That's kind of the, <laughs> the equation you're playing with Fields, with uh, Lance, with Mac Jones. These are teams with playoff aspirations, and in the Niners and Bears case, those are those are really good playoff caliber rosters, which with the right fit, you know, you could really have something pretty special even in the first season. So it's a tough one. I, I understand they're insistent on starting Andy Dalton. And I do get that. Dalton was not giving enough credit for how well he played in a disastrous Cowboys situation last season. He was actually pretty excellent um, it, given what he was he was given to work with. That lends itself back to the initial question, which you posed yourself, which is, well, when do you think the changeover is going to happen? Because I'm assuming Dalton's going to start. I think so. I, I think his debut, Fields, is, was, was overhyped for the one throw which was a wide, as you mentioned before, it's vanilla. It was defenses. so, so wide open. It and was he untrue. was really, really bad the first two drives in a way where, and, and, you know, I'd rather have the first two drives be bad than he settles in and is good. It was his first of the game in a, in, a, in a pro stadium, in a pro game. So you get, there could be some nerves, but he looks small on the field. It's always concerning. You watch Mac Jones and Mac Jones is not an in-shape guy, but he's got the size of an NFL quarterback. Yep. And you're like, that looks right. That looks like Matt Stafford, Phil Rivers. I can picture that. Justin Fields looks small, which is fine. Russell Wilson looks small when he came into the league. You can do that. Joe Burrow doesn't look very big. Um, he, he struggled to get the ball over the line of scrimmage twice. That's concerning. The fumble was concerning. So I, I think he's he's such a wow player. And even though the run where he fumbled the ball was a wow play, the throw was a wow play in, in so much that he threw it so far. Um, and I get that's really exciting. And it's boring to start Andy Dalton. No one wants to start Andy Dalton. You know? Yeah. I get that. But you open up at the Rams, you play the Bengals, you got the Browns, you got the Lions. Two of those Bengals Lions aren't great defenses, we don't think. Rams, you've got Aaron Donald. Browns, you've got Miles Garrett and Jadevian Clowney. I don't think I want to start. I, I just want Andy Dalton to hit those hits, take those hits, frankly. Um, you play the season along, they have a bye week in week 10, which is quite a nice time. They said they want to do the full season with the red shirt. But if they're close to the playoffs and Fields gives them a little extra boost, that week 10 is in a really nice, nice way for them. Uh, whether the pressure hits them beforehand, whether he's so good in the end of preseason or he's so good, you know, coming in in relief in week three or week four or whenever, and they have to make the change, I don't know. But I do buy it when they say they want to roll with Dalton for as long as possible. It's interesting, isn't it? So you say week 10 is the changeover point. If they're in the playoff race, what decision are they going to make? So what kind of win figure are you expecting there? Because that's, that sounds like you're expecting them to actually be there and there, there or thereabouts. They have a championship roster. I mean, Alan Robinson has been one of the three best receivers in the league with the bottom three quarterbacks you could have in the league throughout his career. He went from Blake Bortles to Mitch Trubisky. Oh, yeah, poor guy. <laughs> and he's basically been Calvin Johnson. Like, that's not an exaggeration. That's how dominant he's been. So if he can Oof. have... 
Andy Dalton raise you to that that famous Dalton line of being average. What the hell is Allen Robinson going to do to the league? And then if Justin Fields is just above that Dalton line, then, oh my days, this could get pretty special really fast. They have a championship defense. You know, they have so many good pieces. When you can compare Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack stood next to each other and the two linemen are looking at each other like, we have no idea what to do here. Both of these guys are going to wreck this side of the line. You're in a world of trouble. They got a really talented secondary too. I know they lost Fuller. That, that's an issue. We'll have to see how that plays out. But they have a championship level defense and all they need is splash players on offense. Um, so I, I think I love, they should be it, looking at 10 wins. You're making me quake in my little Packers boots, but I also <laughs> like the like the way you said all they need. See, that's the, I'm, yeah. I'm picking up. There's certain um, there's certain idiosyncrasies in the way that you talk that I think are belying your previous fake American <laughs> tendencies. Um, so what, what? Give me give me a number. Give me a number. Number of wins. I I think they're gonna win ten games, and I think Field wins three of them at the end of the year, and they become a team you don't want to face on Wildcard Weekend. Mm. That's what I Wildcard think. Weekend. Packers against the Bears. That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? Or maybe the Bears end up going to the Packers to avoid Packers get by. Who knows? Anyway, let's move. I, I, you know what? I'm going to go seven wins with the Bears. I'm going to be a little bit cooler on them. Let's go on to the I mean, Lions. I will say this just quickly. Oh, I'm not. I'm not a Matt Nagy fan. So ten wins would keep him around, even if they win ten games. I'll be looking to move on from Matt Nagy. I think. Fair play. Let's move on to those Detroit Lions. Um, Somewhat become the forgotten team, I think, not just in the NFC North, but potentially in the whole of the NFC and maybe even the whole of the NFL. And and major change, obviously, switching this year, the quarterback, Matt Stafford, gets traded. We're going to be rolling with Jared Goff. Um, can Dan Campbell institute a long-term plan, giving Detroit signs of life? Because that's that's the point, Ollie. We're, we're with a team here that feels completely lost in the mix. They had a few... Um, surges in the last you know five six years where they you know they seem to have something but more often than not it's a disappointing showing from the Lions. can can there be a long-term plan put in place to get them back where they want to be that's the as you said the crucial question that the matt patricia era was such a disaster and ended so poorly and with them looking like they were essentially a semi-pro team playing at the professional level, they looked like they didn't mm. have the athletes to play in the NFL, which is impossible given uh, the fact that, you know, they have a draft system and a free agency system and everyone has <laughs> the same resources. Um, so uh, beyond the bluster of Dan Campbell and knee biting and all that stuff, all you really want to see is, is there a kind of a long-term plan in place? They have talented pieces. Their offensive line is, is loaded. Taylor Deck is amazing. Frank Ragnow on the best sense in the league. They draft Sue well. Um, from Oregon, who to get him to play at right tackle in that draft was an unbelievable thing that he fell into their laps. Hawkinson's really good. So they have pieces up front, which is what a guy like Campbell wants. And to me, it's just, can they get something from Jared Goff that would allow them to maybe flip him next offseason when there's this massive merry-go-round of QBs that we've got coming up uh, next offseason? If Goff can show just something, he's not going to be the long-term answer there just because of the timeline that the team is on but you could maybe flip him next offseason. And can you see something from guys like uh, Akuda, the third overall pick, who was such a disaster last year and genuinely the worst starter in the league last year? If he was not drafted third overall, he would not have been on the team. They would have cut him. He was so bad. So you need to see something from someone like him that says, okay, we got signs of life, as you mentioned in the question. We have professional athletes beyond kind of these seven, eight top guys we have who we drafted high and are, are really good. They, they just need some kind of, I know identity is a cliche word, but something that says this is what they will look like moving forward. Who's on the quarterback merry-go-round next free agency? Everyone. I mean, good Lord. You mentioned Rogers, Brady could retire, Russell Wilson. You've got the Deshaun Watson situation that we'll get to when we discuss the AFC. Um, 
yeah. I mean, every team that doesn't have a rookie quarterback, so Herbert, you've got Josh Allen just signed his extension, I understand. But basically every team, the Dolphins could be back in the mix if Tua doesn't doesn't uh, take off how they want. So there are a ton of teams chasing quarterbacks and a lot of quarterbacks who are in a few situations. What direction would you like the Lions to go in in terms of creating an identity? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not a big Dan Campbell guy because I'm not a big on on the bluster and the rah rah coaches. I love what Carolina did by saying, "Let's take a gamble and we'll just become the college team in the professional ranks." We're going to go and get Joe Brady, the the most high profile offensive coordinator in college football, kind of the next up and coming young guy. We'll run a pure college offense. We'll run a pure college defense at a time when no one's running a college defense in the NFL and hope that we are kind of ahead of the evolutionary curve of these other players college is giving us. Um, let's go into, you know, work for Belichick all those years when he went 4-3 and then he saw college went 3-4, so he changed to 3-4 and everyone got caught flat-footed when he had a great defense playing a 3-4. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carolina saying, well, we'll play a 3-3-5 and we might get beat up the first two years, but by year three and year four, when that's only the players coming from college, maybe we'll have a bit of a head start and everyone... I think taking a gamble like that is the kind of thing I like, as opposed to let's go and get the rah-rah guy because we had the cerebral genius, quote-unquote, um, last time, and it was such a mess because he couldn't speak to human beings. Um, the let's go get the guy who everyone loves. It's the classic, like, switch from offense to defense type type vibe. So I'm, I'm a little concerned. I mean, that he's already said before, we're going to be a run-the-ball team. They brought in Anthony Lynn, who famed running back coach, OC went on to be a head coach. They're going to run the ball a ton. He's going to want to be aggressive up front. It's all kind of the cliches, building a Bill Parcells type team, I would imagine. Um, that could work, uh, but that that they're in a division where they might have to play Kirk. Well, they're going to have to play Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers, maybe Justin Fields. So um, that's a problem. Yeah, it's a tough one. Just quickly before we talk about wins, um, very quickly, who is Jared Goff? Um, he's uh, a quarterback who was drafted by the LA Rams. He was terrible under Jeff Fisher, pretty good under Sean McVay, and is going to be worrisome under Dan Campbell and Anthony Lynn. Okay, that'll do for me. Right, pick a pick a win total for me, buddy. Uh, five. I'm going to go four. I think I, I do uh, think that they'll be. Um, I think they'll be frisky. I think they'll be one of those teams Ooh. where at the end of the season, will you know, it'll be like, oh, they lost seven games by one score. You know, those stats start going around, and it's supposed to show they're competitive in games. They they consistently quit under Matt Patricia and were terrible at the end of games. I, I do think they'll at least compete. Okay, right. That's the NFC North signed, sealed, delivered. Let's move over to the NFC South at the other end of the compass. Uh, unless you're a flat earther, then you're just confused. Um, right. <laughs> on to the sorry. Uh, there's this guy at my cricket club, right? Genuinely, who believes the earth is flat. And, um, you know, he was a very normal guy and he still is a lovely guy. No word of a lie. Absolutely lovely chap. He believes the earth is earth is flat, and I just uh, can't convince him otherwise. Um, right, the, the New Orleans Saints. Okay, it's terrible to always boil things down to the quarterback, but I think obviously it is a position like no none other in sports in terms of its importance and the reliance upon one person's shoulders. But who's going to start? Is it going to be Taysom Hill or is it going to be Jameis Winston? Uh, or they also drafted a quarterback, I think, as well in like the fourth round. I think. Mm-hmm. What was his name? Let me look for him. His name is Ian Book. Do you know who he is? Yeah, he is uh, Ian Book. God bless him. Um, he, he's probably uh, as tall as Dustin Hoffman on a good day. Um, oh, yeah. He is a tiny dwarf of a fella. Um, no offense to the short community. With an arm that, you know, 
I mean, he was a decent. How did he college... go in the fourth? How did he go in the fourth round? Then? Well, he's one of these classic. Like he was a decent college quarterback at Notre Dame. It's a big program, lots of pressure. You know, consistent three year starter. He's got decent wheels, to be fair to him, and he's a really good commander of the offense. Notre Dame essentially went to complete old fashioned Troy Aikman no huddle, where it's like we don't even look to the sideline for the plays. You know, Ian does everything because he's super smart. So I get how in a meeting room. That would be, you know, really impressive. And it's like, well, if our guy goes down, we can chuck you in and we're confident, almost like a Chase Daniel. Like maybe he can mm. be our Chase Daniel for the next 10 years because he's got similar traits where he can scramble a bit and he's, he's short and not got a great arm, but he, he's really competent. Um, the fourth round thing blew me away. I really thought he'd go undrafted and, and people would like to have him as a free agent. But yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk though about Jameis and let's mm-hmm. talk about Taysom. Who's going to start? I, I don't know. For me, I think it should be Jameis quite comfortably. I just do not get the Taysom Hill thing in the slightest. I know that Sean Payton loves him, which makes me think he may start. But when, when you watch them play, it's like a guy playing at quarterback and then a guy who plays quarterback. And I know Jameis makes bad decisions and he can be a turnover machine, but at least he brings that vertical aspect to the offense that Payton hasn't had since kind of the, the Colston years in the 2010s and, so, and mm-hmm. so on with Drew Brees. We know that Payton wants to be this vertical guy. So to go with Taysom Hill, who has a decent-ish arm, but can't do much beyond kind of the, the intermediate part of the game, I, I would have thought he'd have said, you know what, let's roll with Jameis. If he throws 20 interceptions or 40 interceptions, he throws 40 interceptions. We lost the Hall of Fame. What do you want us to do? You know, it's like throw your hands up. I'm really surprised they didn't try and do more in the offseason, as you said, they drafted Ian Book, but to not try and get more aggressive in trading up for QB or in trying to go and get a Matt Stafford, I know they were low on assets, but maybe flip one of your really good players because that core is aging to a point now. That really exciting core of Armstead and Ramchick and Anya Mata and Jordan, Davenport, and all these players who, mm. Kamara, who everyone's like, wow, that's a great core. A free agent would love to go there. You know, if Russell Wilson could get himself somewhere, get there when Breeze leaves. But those guys have been in some deep playoff runs now. They've taken a lot of knocks and very, very quickly, as you're well aware, those cores that you think can last six, seven, eight years, it just does not work that way. You need to have the quarterback. And that's about it. And that will last you, sustain you for 10, 12 years. Those guys will get old really fast and it will happen overnight. And I do think by the time the next guy gets there, they might be just beyond the point of that being an elite core to take you to a Super Bowl. So I'm really surprised he didn't get more aggressive in the offseason to try to replace Breeze. And everyone just kind of... Let it go, right? There was not like a big discussion, like, what are they doing? That's weird. It's like, it was just kind of like, oh, cool, he's gone. And then it's Taysom or Jameis, I guess. And that's the strange thing because they had these two quarterbacks. Um, and I use quarterbacks in inverted commas for Taysom Hill. Um, they had these two guys behind Drew, but everybody knows that, he, you know, so let's say Jameis, which I think is, is, which quite honest, is 90% sure that it's going to be Jameis is going to be starting. If it is Jameis to start, he's still not the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still he's still not the guy and he's still going to need to be replaced. So it does it does seem strange that they haven't made any more aggressive plays. But I suppose maybe they're just saying, well, we're going to tread water for a bit. We're going to take our licks in terms of our, our situation from a financial perspective. And, and we know we'll have to come again in, you know, in three, four years. And whatever happens in the meantime just happens. It, it is what it is. What's funky about it is they were talking about trading for a cornerback and then there was discussions about trading Michael Thomas because he got that surgery late and he was doing the, the Instagram posts and stuff. It's like, why would you not just trade him and package a ton of picks to go and get someone? You know, yeah, I, what is the deal with Michael Thomas? Well, he got this surgery really late 
um, which is going to put him out to like what week six, seven, eight. I think he's starting on the pup list. Um, it was carryover from last season. He, he didn't get it diagnosed and treated right away. Um, and he, he's not happy with how the Saints have treated him or how they discuss his reputation. He said in public, but I think it means in terms of leaks to the media to, to portray him in a certain way. Um, you see this all the time, right? When guys get these late surgeries, it goes back and forth between did the team misdiagnose or did the guy refuse to get surgery because he wanted a holiday? And then he was going to, what's the famous thing from the Bulls documentary with Scotty Pippen? Like he, he got injured on your time. He's going to recover on your time rather than- Yeah, totally. Yeah, time, yeah, yeah. You know? So, yeah. Okay, so what? How do you see? Let's say Jameis starts, and let's go with that. How many wins do you see this team getting? It's so tough because everything around him is so excellent. <laughs> you know, if, if he the, the whole idea of him going there, right, was like that is the perfect rehab clinic for him. If anyone's going to throw the ball down the field and get creative and have an amazing offensive line, it's going to be the Saints. And if anyone can tap into Jameis's number one overall pick potential, it's going to be Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. But it, it just. I just cannot fathom him putting it all together. Can you? I, no, not at nothing all. Would, I cannot nothing at all. would shock me from six wins because they're turning the ball over nonstop to 11 wins and James actually was very effective. I think they get it. I think it's going to be a, a, a seven, a six, seven win team. I do not expect a lot with them with James. Yeah. And they're most likely going to do a two quarterback system anyway, right? It's, it's kind of a moot point. I don't, the idea of, um, <sighs> I don't get that though. I've never understood that. Yeah. I know, but why? And it, look, let's move on. We can talk about that for a bit longer. We've got, oh, how many? Four, five, 11 more teams to do. <laughs> let's go. Jeez, how long has this podcast been already? Ooh. Okay. Tampa Bay. Okay. What impact will every starter return have? Because this is basically the same team as last year, Ollie. And they, they, the rule seems to be by film actually is that that doesn't necessarily always lend itself to say that it's going to be the same exact performance again, which was obviously last year, a Super Bowl championship. So, do you think we're going to get the same Tampa Bay? Or do you think we're going to get an improved Tampa Bay? I don't know. This is such a strange one. We've never seen a team return all 22 starters in the free agency year. It's just wild that it was able to happen. Um, and it's a season, you know, you're going to get injuries and stuff. So it's unlikely that that same group that starts is going to end the season. Um, and you could spin it both ways. Like you said, there could be a degree of complacency because there's no one new. It could be that, well, they didn't really gel until the end of the season anyway, particularly on offense. Um, and so they get to come out roaring with an offense that is completely gelled second year with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady working together. Maybe it's, maybe it's even better than it was before. Um, they're just so stacked. They have, the most complete defensive line in the league. Um, they put you in third and long better than any team in the league and they complete third downs better than anyone in the league on offense. It's an unbelievable recipe. I honestly don't think there's anything to say about them, right? Because there's, there's not really any question marks. This team is loaded. This team should be in the NFC Championship game. That's basically it. So we're, we're talking 15-win uh, season? Yeah, I was going to say, I was about to say 14 wins. I'm like, wow, wait a second, that's too many. And it's like, well, they're playing 17 games this year. So, so 14, 15 wins. Yeah, they should be gunning for that. Okay, well, let's just move straight on from those guys then. <laughs> let's, let's keep going to Atlanta, who seem to be, Ollie, at the other end of the spectrum. Um, are they gunning for the number one overall pick? They still, I mean, I don't, Matt, Matt Ryan isn't what he was, but... You know he can still be a very very effective quarterback. So what's what's happening in Atlanta? This they're they're really strange. You know they draft Kyle Pitts, the highest drafted tight end ever, who yeah. I just love. He, he's a he's an unbelievable player, but it, it's just odd to 
to try and straddle these two lines of we're going to go and get Pitts because he can kind of complete our offense because we've got two decent tackles. Like you said, Matt Ryan can still be a top 10 thrower um, in the league as long as he gets in the right system, the right scheme, and he's got guys around him. They got Gage, they got Calvin Ridley, they got pieces. Then they say, well, we'll trade Julio Jones though. And it's kind of like, why, why are they trying to take this middle path, either bottom out and just let everything go? Um, you know, try and take swing on a quarterback with that high pick and trade Matt Ryan away, maybe trade Matt Ryan to the Saints. You know, I found it strange that they didn't either try and stick all in and have one final ride with that core that basically made the Super Bowl um, all those years ago now with the Matt Ryan-led team. Why they wouldn't just say, well, let's keep Julio, keep Matt Ryan. It's a really expensive roster. And we'll have one final swing at this thing. We'll draft mm. pits, which is almost like a luxury to draft a tight end that high in the draft. And we'll have one final go. Or look, this is run its course. Let's tear it down. Matt's not going to win anything here and we'll re-go again, which they may do in the, in the coming off season and push it down the road a little bit. Uh, I found it really strange they took this kind of middle ground where it's like, well, we'll trade one of them, the fan favorite one, and but we'll bring in the tight end. It, it's it's really odd long-term planning to me. Yeah, and what do you foresee for, for Matt Ryan then? I mean, how many years has he got left on his contract? Is it something like he might be asked to, uh, next year? I think it, it would be stunning to me if he wasn't moved next next off season. I think that what that they are in play for the number one overall pick, they'll at least be up there. And then it would just be a bad use of resources to not move the aging quarterback and try and find a young one. Even if you prefer Ryan to whoever you could get, it's just a bad use of resources to keep him hanging around. And there'll definitely be a market for him. Once again, you know, you got Denver, you got Carolina. There's a ton of teams who are desperate to try and find quick uh, fix as a quarterback to, to complement the fact they've got so much talent ready to go and win now, but they just don't have the QB. Um, there'd be a massive market for for Matt Ryan if he was put up. He would be an upgrade as well. No word of a lie. On, on, oh no, yeah, know, I mean, like I mean, Drew Lark or you know, yeah, yeah, he was pretty excellent last year, and he's playing in such a, a plodding, muddy system with such a, such a you know kind of crappy team around him outside of like I said, the two tackles and Calvin Ridley. So, well, and I mean. Had the Niners not made the move for Trey Lance, if you had said to me, well, they could do some kind of Garoppolo deal straight up where they give you know Atlanta that Garoppolo contract who's a little bit younger and they give them a first-round pick and they get Matt Ryan back with Kyle Shanahan, I would have said, yeah, that team could go to the Super Bowl. So um, if I'm Carolina or I'm Denver, I'm absolutely looking at a long-term QB if I can get one. Um, or if I want to get a short-term guy, my first call would be for Matt Ryan because I think the value compared to having to go and get an Aaron Rodgers or someone, you could still win a title with Matt Ryan. It's strange, isn't it? We always forget that Matt Ryan won. I think we forget that he won the MVP. You know, I feel like you, that you award, don't forget, but I, I feel like that award was given almost to Kyle Shanahan in the public consciousness. You know, for a guy mm. who's had some really bad seasons, as much as I also like Kyle Shanahan, I think he's, he's really innovative and, and quite special. I feel like he was given all the success of that team and he, he took the blame for the loss also for the way they called uh, plays down the stretch. But it's almost as if Julio and Matt Ryan didn't get those accolades they gave him to, to Shanahan. No, yeah, I think you're right. So how many wins are we going for with the uh, Falcons? I, th- I think it could be quite bad. I think defensively they're going to be a train wreck. So I'm going to go four. I'm going to go with four. That's what I was thinking as well. Before anyone, show. by the way, does the maths, we didn't pre-plan win total. So no, no, we didn't. No. We're saying they're in that region, you know. I'm, throw- I'm throwing these out. I'm keeping Ollie yeah. on his toes. Let's go on to the Carolina Panthers the question with the Carolina Panthers is, you know, what are they going to get out of Sam Darnold? 
And do you, what's your opinion of him in general, Ollie? Because obviously he was in a bad situation. He was in a very bad situation with the New York Jets. Um, can he can he really be a, a a catalyst for the Panthers to be better than they were? I don't think so. Uh, there's a big big group of people who love Donald so much coming out of the draft that I think they're holding on so much to hope to not be wrong as they are to evaluating the player we've seen. He had no moments for the Jets. Outside of that, if you remember the debut game at Detroit where he was like bonkers mm. good um, and he just tore Detroit apart and it was like, wow, they may have found uh, finally found the Jets quarterback of the future. But other than that, you could do a highlight clip of maybe 12 throws if you're looking mm. Um he was not good, and he had that real bad thing of looking petrified. Now, I don't blame him because the offensive line was so bad and it hurts to get hit a lot, I imagine, at that level. <laughs> but also, how many guys have we ever seen who have had that look and then gone on to be special elsewhere? Or not even mm. be special, but regularly guy teams to playoffs. It's usually guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick who get mauled but look like they don't give a shit. And they're like, I kind of like this. Let's have it. Yeah. And then he gets to a team that protects him and he shreds him. You know, he can really rip it. It's rare that you see the guy who's kind of like leading into the back foot and is like, I do not want to get hit right now. And then he goes somewhere else and magically he's like, I like to stand upright and throw from the pocket. It's just very uncommon. Now what the Panthers are doing on offense with Brady, that could help him because it's so much, the ball is out so fast and it's so vertical and that does fit his skill set, and that's why they gave up the first-round pick to go get him, because he, if he's going to work anywhere, it's going to be in that Joe Brady offense. I just don't see it. I think there's a complete mental breakdown there of one not wanting to get hit, and I just don't think he reads coverages very well at all. So I, you almost have to admire them for taking the swing. You know, they, they were in on everyone. They wanted Stafford, right? They couldn't do that. They wanted Russell yeah. Wilson. They thought they had the Sean Watson, and then that just blows up in their face for things so Oof. out of their control that, you know, God love them saying, bleep it, let's just go get Sam Donald, why not? What else are we going to do? So I, I kind of admire that. I think they 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 are underrated in how good their pieces are right now in terms of being able to change games. They have really dynamic players with Moore and McCaffrey and offense who can just go and get you touchdowns in an instant. Defensively, they can really get after it. I like their cornerback group. I love JC Horn, the guy they drafted. I think he has a chance to be defensive rookie of the year. Really like their edge rush. So I think they have kind of if you're laying on what is the type of team that can get after another team in the playoffs with an average quarterback, they've kind of built the perfect base for that. You think like that Denver team that carried the crappy Peyton Manning, they have that kind of template, which is, you know, 50 yard breakaway touchdowns and turnovers on defense. They've got a nice template of that. It's just, is Donald even good enough to kind of play at that mediocre level? I'm just not quite sure he is. Interesting, because yeah, as you say, the rest of the the rest of the roster is you know it's, it's a decent roster and decent team they've got together. It is the Deshaun Watson thing, isn't it? That was looked like it was nailed on. That was going to be the yeah. The I think it Panthers. was. I think they were they had him outside of you know the Dolphins have so many more draft picks and everyone. I think it was in the Dolphins that I think it broke on a Wednesday. I think the Dolphins had almost like a seventy two hour window to to up the offer with another pick or two, and and maybe he would have been in Miami. Um, I think the Panthers thought they had him and it just blew up in their face. But so, yeah, it's just unfortunate timing. Win total for the Panthers then with Sam Darnold. Seven. Uh, yeah. I feel kind of a similar way to a feel about like the bears, um, but, but a little bit more on the negative side of that. So maybe six or seven. I honestly trust Andy Dalton more than I trust Sam Darnold. 
I think I would oh, have no. considered not trading completely. a pick for Sam Darnold and just signing Andy Dalton. No, I think you're completely right, mate. I definitely trust Andy. I, Andy I really Dalton. think that they almost have an analytical approach there to Darnold, which is like, even if he's so-so, we can maybe move him for a fourth-round pick next year, and it's at least something. Um, whereas with Interesting. Dalton, obviously, you get nothing back. There'd be many takers for that deal, though. To be quite <laughs> honest, on the on the receiving it, side of it, isn't it crazy though that you should always take a quarterback in the first round anyway? Because why not? If you land the Hall of Famer, you know you're probably going to the Hall of Fame as an executive. If you don't, mm-hmm. you're gonna get fired anyway. You know, so you may as well take the swing. And if you miss, Josh Rosen and Sam Donald got moved for high draft picks when they were terrible. I mean, Josh Rosen is not going to be in the league anymore, and he got moved for a second round pick. Sam Darnold was terrible with the Jets and they got a first round pick. Whereas, like you said, Andy, after this one, if he's bad again, there's no value there. But no, for some I, reason, I, that it's baked into the mind of everyone. Like, well, he was worth a first round pick. So we just kind of rattle it down a little bit. It was a high first round pick. So we'll do either a top second round pick or a low first round pick. And he's worth that now, even though he stunk at the last spot. The Josh Rosen one is the most egregious one. He just, it's just, what happened there? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I like Josh Rosen in college. He had, all the tools, most intelligent player in the draft class, one of the most intelligent football players ever, could be a an article engineer, decided to play football, and it's been really bad. Yeah, bad choice, mate. Um, <laughs> let's move let's move on to the NFC West now, buddy. Let's let's go with the Arizona Cardinals. And um, on our crib sheet for uh this show, you put where where's Cliff Kingsbury at? Yeah, he might be the most befuddling person in the league because obviously everyone knows the backstory he gets he's a bad college coach by his record who gets hired to be kind of the innovative offensive mind at the nfl level and then that hasn't really worked it's not like they'd be mind-blowingly impressive in the nfl if anything what was considered the innovation is just bland in the nfl like all Mm -hmm. those air raid principles were being run by everyone already but to a more nuanced detailed complex degree the Patriots took the air raid template in 2007 with Randy Moss and added in option routes. Happy days. <laughs> We're already more complex than Cliff Kingsbury 13 years earlier. Um, so this idea of him being this kind of really cool, innovative mind has just not really worked. The only thing they've done that's interesting is they have these giant splits in their line where they made this middle of the line really short. I know this is nerdy. I will write about this at some point. Oh, go on, go on. They made their two tackles like 6'8" but they made the middle of their line six foot and below. Now that's not that uncommon. Obviously the guys outside are usually short, taller than the guys on the inside, but it's such a dramatic split. And they obviously play with those naturally really wide splits because the way his offense is designed is that the offensive line has as wide a split as possible because the whole field has to expand. Um, Hmm. That's pretty quirky. And I imagine it's so Kyler Murray can see better over the line of scrimmage because he's quite a short player uh, although he usually does throw in between the players anyway um that's why part of why the line is split so wide um that's the only thing they've done that's kind of like ooh quirky innovative um that they would do it to that level of degree as opposed to just naturally finding the best players who have to be six one or whatever they clearly had a player model and built the line from the model um but other than that i mean you're looking at a team where they built the 2016 all-stars right <laughs> let's go get jj watt and aj green and malcolm butler and it's like what year are we in isn't he supposed uh, it, to be an innovative young guy? What's happening? It, it seems true. The whole JJ Watt thing, does he not seem slightly... He's still a, he's still a very good player, mm-hmm. but he is not the player that he was. He is still a, extraordinary, though. I mean, no one on their own resets the line of scrimmage like JJ Watt still. 
And I mean, no, uh, he's still getting double, triple teamed on every play. Um, I do think he will have a sharp, sharp decline whenever that point hits. And we'll see it mm-hmm. in like week two. And it'll be like, oh, that's a wrap. JJ Watt was a good player. And now he's a bang average player. Um, the why thing- is it that why why is it that that happens? Do you think with somebody like a lineman? I just think as that it's like one injury too far or one day of aches too far. I would imagine. I think we'd have to ask the guys who had sharp declines and that they often don't believe they had the decline. Right? They usually like yeah blame the media for saying they declined. It's like actually I was still playing very well. Uh, I would imagine that it's just like so much of that position is get off an oomph combined with power, and if that just drops 10% and you're at such a high level and you're so talked up that there's pretty dramatic drop off. Hmm. So what's weird with them is isn't everything supposed to be about speed? They're so slow. If you go through their roster, you're like, they've got Connor in the backfield. They got DeAndre Hopkins who is outstanding, but is a jump ball catcher. AJ Green is, was washed in Cincinnati and that he's just a jump ball guy. They're yeah. not fast on defense. You know, Chandler Jones is excellent. Marcus Golden isn't that fast. JJ Watts older. Malcolm Butler isn't fast. Like they're really slow. They're, they're very, very fast in the second, in the, the deep secondary, in the linebacking core. They, they play with pure tweeners at all the positions. Um, you know, they can all interchange between playing linebacker safety, so on. But they're, they're really slow for a team that was and- supposed to be all about new age. And like Kyler Murray is the fastest guy on the team. It also seems to strike me, Ollie, that the league is more geared towards speed mm-hmm. in, in the modern era in terms of, so I, I I think Green Bay really lacked speed for a long time. I think we've got better in that department. But uh, how, how's that going to manifest on the field then? We'll see. I don't know. I think you, you're what they're hoping for is, is a jump from Kyler Murray from being a dynamic playmaker to far more consistency. He's not being overly consistent. Um, in his first couple of years in the league. And what you're hoping for is that, like I said, he can take that leap and then and that he can be a more precise rhythm thrower so that the lack of speed means, well, he can throw it to the back shoulder for Hopkins and Green, who should be able to, to win those one-on-one battles. And then he can be the dynamic player on third down when you start bringing in some of those option elements. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I find them puzzling and I would not be at all stunned if it bottomed out and you had a lot of people who were, who just only read the names of the players and never thought well, how mm. does this puzzle really fit together. Um, you know, maybe they're seeing something we don't, maybe they want to get bigger in a league where, like you said, it's getting smaller and for speed. Maybe Cliff Kingsbury's thing is not that I'm a straight air raid guy necessarily. It's that I'm trying to find inefficiencies and actually getting bigger and bulkier gives us an advantage somehow, uh, either in the division or in the league. So that could be a possibility, but I just, I just don't see it with this team. I just don't like the makeup of it. I like, the individual pieces and just then fitting it all together. It just something feels off for me. So what win total are we going for with the Cardinals then? I'm feeling something around six or seven. Yeah, I was going to say six too. I, I, I think six and I think Kingsbury's out at the end of the season. They're going to get Kyler and you coach. There you go. Okay. Let's go on to the 49ers. Another quarterback, another rookie quarterback there. This time one trying to supplant Jimmy Garoppolo and that's Trey Lance. And this seems like it's a different situation um, from some of the other rookie situations in that you have an established starter in Jimmy Garoppolo who is competent um, and he's still actually a relatively young man. Mm-hmm. So what's Has your view? He paid of this? a lot of money. Well, exactly. What's your view? Because it feels like 
when they do decide to move to Trey, Trey Lance, then you get Jimmy Garoppolo out of the building. Although a lot of people say, well, why would you do that? Because, you know, people are one play away from getting injured. You know, it's usual to have them both in. But when you're paying that, that amount of money, it seems like that could be invested somewhere else to support Trey Lance when that moment comes. But when do you think he's actually going to start? He also, Garoppolo has a thing where when he plays a certain amount, certain amount of snaps, his contract becomes fully guaranteed. So really a decision to make where it's like, do we want to guarantee all the money? Do you want to try and trade him? Like you said, do we hold him in reserve in case Trey Lance goes down? It's a tough one. I think their ideal scenario, remember Trey Lance didn't play a year in college. So he's not played competitive football outside of that, the preseason games for like 20 months. Played one game in college that was essentially a showcase for Trey Lance to get drafted, and that worked pretty well because he went with yeah, it works. Good ding, job. Ding, ding. Um, uh, that that Niners team is so good. They basically get back the Super Bowl roster, right? They were so beat up last year. They had all the COVID stuff, and now it's like, well, does the Super Bowl team returns? And you can spin that both ways. Well, is that how the league works? Like those, those guys just come back fully healthy? Um, you know, often we don't see that, but sometimes we do. A year away of rest and rehab helps, you know, you might have torn your bicep, but you can suddenly let everything else rest up as well. And so you come back feeling fresher than ever. Um, so I'm interested to see if, if that thing of like, oh, all those great players have come back. Are they actually still those great players? That's the first thing I'm kind of looking at. Um, on the Lance thing, I think their dream scenario is the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes plan of yeah, this Shanahan system is quite complex. They're trying to build in all this new new as in what this team has done, the pistol stuff. He basically ran with RG3, if you remember back in the day when they just destroyed the league. He wants to bring that back in with Trey Lance, bring a bit more spontaneity because it's a very set offense. They do what they do. Uh, Lance would give them more kind of off-script stuff, which Garoppolo does not do. I think they want that. And if you could get that, and in week three, you look around and go, you know what, the guy's ready. If it's week one, great. If it's week three, great. If it's week 10, excellent. I think they anticipate it's going to be the whole year and it's Garoppolo with that Super Bowl roster and they try and make a deep run and then they make the change next year. But I do think as much as they're planning for the Smith to Mahomes thing, it does kind of sniff of the Smith Kaepernick thing where it's like, this guy's suddenly, just so just much more dynamic. Happen. Yeah, yeah, it's like, he's more dynamic. He makes us more dynamic, makes us more unpredictable. We are so loaded defensively. We're doing ourselves a disservice to not play the young guy just because he's young and just because we had a plan and we told Jimmy that. And the other thing, like you said, about having Garoppolo as, um, as insurance for Lance, well, Garoppolo is the one who's been injured his entire career. He gets injured yeah, consistently. True. So it would not be surprising if he went down in week three or week four, even for just a little bit of time, which is what happened to Smith. And then uh, the backup comes in and, and wows in a way. It's interesting, though, this whole kind of handover between quarterbacks because – You'd probably look at it and you wouldn't say it wasn't too dissimilar for the situation in Chicago. But it certainly, to me, it feels like it's a lot different to the situation in Chicago. I think I think people would be delighted to get rid of Andy Dalton really quickly <laughs> and get fields on the... Th- and, and that's no disrespect to Andy Dalton, but this one feels a little bit more like, no, we can, we can give it a year, he can sit for a year. Do you know what I mean? I feel like there's yeah. less pressure to get well, him on the field. Justin Fields played at Ohio State, big-time college football, national title stage. You know, uh, Trey Lance played at North Dakota State and didn't play for the year, like I said. So it's just kind of like where you're at in the development. I, I think fan-wise, Niners fans are all in. Trey Lance is a guy. They want the dynamic. Right. Team. Everyone okay. does. Where it's the team who's like, that team is operating, when you listen to John Lynch and Kyle Shannon, as if their baseline is we're winning the Super Bowl. So it's like, we think we can win the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Do we want to fuck with that? That's kind of, I think, where they're at. And it's like, well, we we give ourselves a 50% chance to win the Super Bowl with Garoppolo, but could 
could Trey Lance push us to 60% because he can run a little bit? You know, could we break that Green Bay defense in December with Trey Lance running? And that's where I think they're at. They believe they're going to yes. win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yes. yes, yes, you could. I've seen it before. Uh, so I think that's where they're operating from, whereas the Bears were operating from. We think we can make the playoffs, and Justin might get us there and also might help us win a wild card game because he's, you know, he's going to do all kind of crazy running around stuff. But I don't think they have any expectation to win the whole thing, whereas the Niners expect to win the Super Bowl. You know, they're built to I, win Right. It. Look, I know there was the whole Justin Herbert somewhat anomaly last year and we we have lots of rookie quarterbacks that have done well over the over the years but let's not get around the fact that it takes a while to adjust usually so trey lance is a rookie do you, do you know what i mean it's so fast it's so fast and it's so much quicker than fcs college football i cannot describe to you and he's playing at north dakota state which wins every single national title in the fcs division of college football which is basically the second subdivision like the championship of uh, college football. And they're basically Alabama in that division, but with such a wider gap between Alabama and the second place team, you know, it'd be like having Man City's resources in the championship. I mean, they, they would win every single game, which is what North Dakota State do. Maybe they'll lose once in every three years if they don't have the right quarterback. Um, and they'll only win 11 games instead of 12. Um so it's such a massive adjustment to me. I mean, you go through Trey Lance's films and you get all the wow stuff. And if you just do the cut up of the 60 great players, you're like, oh my God, this guy's going to go to the Hall of Fame. What a player. But you watch game to game and it's like, everyone is so wide open all the time. And in preseason when he's looked fantastic, everyone is so wide open all the time. <laughs> Maybe that continues because Kyle Shanahan's really good. But I'm with you. I think it's such an adjustment. And it, it, it takes, to think a rookie can take you to the Super Bowl is, is real. Like it just does not happen. That's not to say it won't happen at some point, but I just can't see that. I think they're going to have to ride with Garoppolo, I think. I think you're going to ride with Garoppolo. Let's pick out a win total for these guys then. I'm going to say San Francisco. Either way, uh, are going to get 11 wins. I'll go with 12. Oh, I like it. Okay, San Francisco, positivity. Let's move on to Seattle Seahawks. I can't deny it. I just don't like them. Um, sorry. <laughs> Neither yeah, Russell that... Wilson anymore, seemingly. No, no. But ever since that that game, that NFC Championship game that we lost, it should have set up the Brady Rogers Super Bowl and didn't. You know, I've never quite got over that. Um, have they finally addressed their offensive line? Because that's one of the things that Wilson was pissed about. So what's... Is and then beyond that, as an extension to that, do you think he is placated in terms of his role and position within the organization? He says so. This is a weird one because they they placated him last season. You had this whole let Russ cook thing, and Twitter and Mina Kimes and all these ESPN analysts who love the Seahawks basically bullied the organization into letting Russell Wilson run the entire offense, and it worked really well until it collapsed and it was a disaster. Um, and I, I do wonder because he says he's happy now. So what conversation did they have? Because Pete Carroll has said publicly they are recommitting to running the ball. That he tried the new way for eight games and he got sick of it. And so he said, I want to roll back to 1990 because that's how I've won Super Bowls um, or Super Bowl. Um, and I've got two Super Bowls. So I'm interested to see how happy he is with that. I mean, they've redone the offense in a way. They brought in Shane Waldron, who was an assistant with the Rams to kind of bring some of that Ram motion packed jumbo sets to the Seahawks. They were able to bring in Gabe Jackson in a trade with the Raiders. And he's as good uh, a guard as you can find in terms of being the point man. He's, he's just a giant human being. I mean, so wide, he's massive. 
and he kind of acts as the point guy that everything orbits around. People pull a move off him and he sets as the point man. Now, usually Lyman want to be the guy pulling right. It's fun to get up some steam and hit people. He is as good as it gets to kind of sick it, uh, sinking into his spot, twisting and contorting and you know, setting up a block while everyone else can pull a move around him. So I think that that could really be it. such a dynamic difference in a way that you couldn't really see from the pre-snap formation, which is usually how people interpret an offense changing is what does it look like pre-snap are they motioning are they shifting now we will probably see some of that with Waldron coming in but I think the main thing will be they can just be more exotic in the run game now because of Jackson and if you're Russell Wilson and you're saying well I want to throw the ball more the coach wants to run more at least if you're seeing kind of a new run game and a new run scheme that's a bit more dynamic and a bit exciting that maybe will help them kind of reconnect and be able to do some old school Seahawks things do they actually have the backs in order to execute a new exotic run game or at least the, the the talent there to make it work uh i mean carson's a good back i think we we've not seen them now for a while be one of these true gap scheme teams which is where you just say you're hitting that hole now waldron does come from again a zone blunt run blocking scheme with la which is where you kind of set up the block and the guy reads it you know reads three reads and picks the lane he wants to get through basically see daylight and hit it Whereas the gap scheme is we are running through that hole. The pull means you go through that hole. Um, so I think that'll be an adjustment because I, I would it would be weird to bring in Gabe Jackson and decide we're going to make him kick step and run out one way in a zone scheme. Now, the Seahawks have done mad things with their offensive line the entire time Pete Carroll's there. So it would not be beyond the realms of possibility that they bring in this extraordinary gap blocker and then say, yeah, bleep that, we'll just run zone anyway. Um, so... It's a different skill set. We'll see. I mean, everyone runs from that kind of gap element. But if you're saying committing to we are now a power duo scheme where we're pulling and moving everyone consistently, we're running counter all these kind of you know linemen running and moving around. It's just a different type of system. There's more patience involved. You got to let the block set up. You can't just get on your merry way and try and find space. So it's a wait and see. I like Carson. Um, I wouldn't say he's a top tier back, but you don't really need top tier backs, do you? In the modern game, you just kind of shove a guy in and he does well for two weeks and you get the next guy in. Supposedly, that's the rule, isn't it? What about the Seahawks defense quickly? Um, Not a banner Pete Carroll defense. Um, They've had issues with how they're going to readdress the linebacking core. That's a concern. I'm not quite sure if the pass rush is where they would want it to be. Um, so I, I think that this is, this is where the kind of idea of let Russ cook and make it Russ team is just going to happen organically. Like you can try and force it and say, we're going five widespread and it's Russell's team and he's calling the plays, but this was always going to be the natural evolution from what was the run heavy Marshall and Legion of boom days to the Russell Wilson days is just that because you're now paying a quarterback star money and there's not enough money to go around the rest of the roster naturally it becomes more of an offensive team because you have to be quarterback led because you can't find all the pieces on defense. So outside of Wagner and Adams, you're kind of looking around like where's the special piece. Um, and there aren't that many. Win total then for the Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to pitch it, Ollie. I'm going to start this. I'm going to throw this and I'm going to pitch it at 10 because it's a 17 game season. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say nine, but now you've got me with the 10 and the 17. I'll still go That's nine. why. I would have said nine last year. I'll still go nine. Is that, is that nine too is. low? They should be the Cardinals, shouldn't they? You get two there. Don't win seven more wins. Oh, 10. I've done it. 10. 10 it is. 10 it is. Let's move on to the frisky and the really interesting team that I, I think I'm, I'm high on <laughs> these guys, buddy. I'm high. I'm high on the Los Angeles Rams because I've sat there for my whole 
fan life since I was since I was I was a kid, obviously. But in terms of since they drafted Stafford in Detroit and thought this guy is a freaking good quarterback. I, I've watched Stafford a lot, obviously, because being a Green Bay fan, and he's he, he doesn't ever seem to be off, Ollie. He and I I think he brings it every single week and He's got a great arm. I think he's got a great attitude, a great resilience. I think he's probably actually a really good locker room guy, a great leader. Um, and it felt like that was the bit that was missing because this is a team with a, a great coach and great pieces on defense as well. When we think about it, in that secondary and obviously on, on the line, I feel like this is the team that's going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. That's my feeling in my water. You're all in. I'm all in. I, I'm i so excited for this. I, I love Matthew Stafford. I think I've, I've, of any online writer you could find over the course of his career, there would be no one more bullish on Matthew Stafford if you went through their archives than me. So I'm biased in that way. As in, I would like to be proven right at some point, Tom, that he, that he was the guy. It's always we, nice when that I, happens. I honestly believe this is no word of hyperbole. And I'm writing in detail about this Stafford McVay fit. It's going to be the day this podcast comes out, that will also be in the newsletter, it will arrive in your inbox. If you subscribe, a full detail analysis of staff in the McVeigh offense will, will be there. This is a valuable subscription. Subscribe, people. It's worth it. I really think pre-snap, he's the closest thing to Peyton Manning we've had since Peyton Manning. I think he is so underrated and extraordinary pre-snap because all you ever hear about him is he has a great arm. And that is true. But he is as good as it gets in terms of playing with really tight formations and they expand into space. That was the old Peyton Manning thing is we don't need to run spread formations. I'd rather have my guy running into the space and I'll put the ball out there and then he can run into the space. And at the end of Detroit, they became so spread out and so reliant on, well, Matthew can hit the ball downfield and he's really good at moving in the pocket. So let's just get as many guys out there as possible and let him figure it out. That was kind of the end result there. Whereas Sean McVeigh, it's all tight and it's all condensed and it's all moving motions and pieces and guys fly open and suddenly, how did Cooper Cup get open 15 yards downfield with no one around him? And Stafford can then hit it. So that kind of condensed the field to expand it after the snap. I think it's such a nice relationship and marriage for the two of them. It, McVeigh was so annoyed at the end of the, of the Goff era of he has these really complicated, slow developing shot plays, basically. So deep down the field, all those man-beater concepts you hear about, you know, where it's like a quick three guys switch over and a guy should be open, you get it out. Brady's the, mm -hmm. the classic for that. Bree's the classic for that. That's usually instant, right? Hit the back foot, ball out. McVeigh runs them down the field. It's it's all pre-designed. There's no freelancing. There's little options involved. And Goff just didn't have the, the balls, frankly, to like stand in and wait and wait and wait for it to come. And if he did, he didn't have the pocket mobility to, to slip and slide and get away. He has really like nice balletic feet, but he didn't actually jump yeah. up and slide. You know the Brady thing where he just like takes these massive steps and suddenly he slipped out entirely out of the pocket. And you know, he doesn't have a great arm, but he can hurl it downfield. McVeigh needs that. And Stafford in that, I think, is gonna be so, so incredible. I think the, the volume of 25 plus touchdowns, I wouldn't be stunned if they were nearing up on, on the record or something. Um, the only slight reservation I have is that he doesn't read things that well downfield as good as the arm is. And a lot of what Detroit did with him when he, he was at his best, if you go back 2012, 2015, they would completely isolate one side of the field and they would just breed it as a basic isolation play of, we've got this one receiver on one side. If they double him, everyone else is one-on-one. -on -one. If they single him, I'm going to that receiver. And he would just read it pre-snap, one easy fire. 
McVeigh, it's it's a lot more complex because you're reading an action down the field. They're crisscrossing and you have to follow it the whole way, if that makes sense. Um, and Stafford just isn't great at reading coverages down the field, deep into the play. So that's going to be an adjustment. And I hope McVeigh works in some of those isolation plays and is willing to kind of put his ego aside because Stafford is kind of a, a player's quarterback. You go win for me, I'll get you the ball. Rodgers is like that. I can put the ball anywhere on the field. You just go win the matchup and I'll get it to you. Devontae, you do your thing. The ball will be there. Whereas McVeigh is like the system gets you open. And that includes down the field, which is quite unusual at the pro level. So it's going to be an interesting fit. If it works and you get all of that together, like you said, how do you stop that? That's a Super Bowl. You know, we're off and we're running. If it becomes Stafford doesn't read it and it becomes messy and muggy and he's throwing interceptions down the field, then maybe there's some concerns. It's interesting. I suppose Stafford had the, the perfect guy uh, at receiver for a lot of his career didn't yeah. he for, for that in Calvin Johnson um so what's your win total here because I'm being so bullish Ollie I'm I'm gonna call 13 wins 13 wins sounds right defensively you have to think they lost Brandon Staley and how much does that impact them such a creative innovative defensive mind to lose him how much does that impact you but then does it matter when you have Aaron Donald wrecking every play it's kind of the the uh, kind of the analysis I'm trying to do there. 13 sounds good. I wouldn't be surprised with 14. I wouldn't be surprised with 15. I think this is going to be such a wonderful fit. Where would you put Stafford in MVP rankings? Because like you said, he's such a nice guy and so liked that if they're playing well and he's good, this could be a Matt Ryan situation where he has such an explosive year in the offense. And it's like, well, we've already given one to Mahomes. Rogers can't win it again. Brady, you know, maybe we do the, the farewell tour to Brady, but he's already got seven Super Bowls. Does he need another award? He doesn't. He doesn't maybe, need it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I feel, I feel the way you, the the most, the thing I agreed with you the most there was when you said Rogers just won one. We can't give it him again. That I agree with that. Mahomes, the same thing. Because for me, you'd put Mahomes at the shortest odds, and you'd say it's it's, it's the most likely. And then I'd put Rogers next, but I drop them way down because they've already won some, and particularly Rogers won one last year. I'd put him on the same level as a Josh Allen. And I'd say that those two guys have got a great shot of winning their first, you know, MVP this yep. season. Um, and I wouldn't put a, you know, a, t- a tissue or a cigarette paper between them. And then I'd say a step down from that, you've got Herbert probably and, I'm just thinking of quarterbacks yeah, and yeah. just thinking of the way the way the press may go and in, in the direction of travel. Well, but then Herbert's probably on the same level as a as a Brady and a, and the rest of them. Yeah. So okay. Right. Let's move on then. Finally, with the NFC East, the oft talked about NFC East that usually is the focus of everybody's time. But no, we're doing them last, damn yes. it. Suck on that NFC East. Right. Let's start with Washington. <laughs> God knows what they're going to be called, those um plucky. Did you, did young you chaps. see the the eight finalists? No, I didn't. Tell me what they They're are. They're brutal. Should I pull them up? We'll do some real Pull them time. up and uh, I'll, uh, I'll uh, tread water for a minute. Um, so the Washington uh, are a team that used to be named after a racial slur, if you were unaware, um, and are now coming up with a new name. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rip off the eight names here. And I, they've had some... I feel like this is almost... I don't want to uh, bias the jury, but they almost tanked the names for the one they okay. wanted. Okay, when you pause after each one and I will yeah. do the game of one-word reaction to each <laughs> one. So I, I literally... I, have, I haven't heard them, so I'll do one-word okay. reaction. The Washington Armada. Spanish, but that is... <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, yeah, go on then, go on then. Okay, 
The Washington Brigade. Lame. Don't these sound like high school football? They don't sound like real. Brigade is lame. It sounds like a made up, like you couldn't get the rights in a movie. So you called them the Washington Brigade. Or yeah, a computer game where you couldn't get the rights. So it's Cristiano (laughs) Pinaldo or something. Yeah. The Washington Commanders. Same same point, yeah, made up. You know, the it's same just... as well. It's just like ugh. yeah, the Washington Defenders. Uh, makes me think of basketball. Um, San Antonio Defenders was a team they played in basketball. I seem to remember. Uh, but again, these are all just like generic military-based names. Where's the character? <laughs> Wait, where is why the is it military-based? I mean, why is it got to be military-based? Is there any okay. other military-based team in the NFL? Military, I can't think. No, not military, but you wouldn't be that over. Patriots, I mean, I Patriots. Is that it's, uh, I guess. Patriots, they got guns on the logo. They, What's they, next? Uh, the Washington Presidents. You see, acceptable. I'm all right with that because there's a logic to it. It just feels icky. I don't know. Who's going to be on the logo? What's it going to be? Uncle you Sam? You got Lincoln, aren't you? Barack, Barack Obama. They'll get accused of being racist again. Lincoln's the least. I think debatable one. Or would you just have George Washington fold the whole thing in? Was he president? He wasn't president, was he? George Washington was the first okay. president. Okay. I want to say. <laughs> Go on, next, the Washington Red Hogs. What? <laughs> now this is, I believe, tied into the Hogs, their famous offensive line. But wouldn't you just be the Hogs, the Washington Hogs? That's kind of cool. I think that's way cooler than the Red Hogs. Why I'd does take, that need to I'd be a Red? Hogs. I like hogs. hogs. Hogs is cool. Is, hogs is different. I don't know called a hogs. Hogs means you for the rest of the time you can only be a run first team with mauling offensive linemen, and that's cool. That's a great identity to have. You definitely can't have balletic feet. <laughs> you can have balletic feet. The Washington Red Wolves. Is it? I heard. I, I seem to remember. There's a logic behind that though as well. There's something that sits behind that, isn't there? Maybe I don't know. Even wolves. Why the red? It's a bit garbly. Red wolves. I don't. Yeah. Why are you putting the red? The in? red wolves versus the Packers. It's like ugh. I don't know. <laughs> and then you have the Washington football team. I think the football team is by far the best. I think it's out different. of those. I think it's yeah. cool. I think they've tanked that vote so they can get the football team. So he doesn't have to pay any money to rebrand the team and pay for the trademark. I'd go for that to be quite honest. I would I would stick with that because also there's something noble about just removing it and saying, well, we won't have a moniker then that sits yeah. on the end. We won't have that. We just we just won't have it, you know. And instead, we'll have a massive inflatable W that runs around the field or whatever, rather than a you know a, a mascot, so to speak. Because I think, you... go on, sorry, no, go on. No, no, I was just going to say, I think that's given the situation. I think that's the 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 most sensible solution. Yeah, and I, I'll just say because the uh, president came out to speak about this when they, they were originally thinking of doing other Native American-based names out of, they wanted to, to be, um, what's the word I'm fumbling for, Tom? They wanted to show some respect and almost like, you know, give back okay. to the community after, after having the awful name. But he kiboshed that by saying he didn't want to encourage any, he thought people would still wear the Redskins stuff to games to the same because it was had the same look or logo or emblem. They just They're going to wear that anyway, though. Away. They're not going to get rid of it, it's, though, it's, are they? It's People... been banned from the stadium. You're not coming into the stadium if you have any any kind of... Um, Seriously, Native that's American interesting. ...type stuff. They're trying to completely get rid of it. I like the Washington for a couple of reasons. One, football team sounds cool, and it's it's unique, you know, and, it's, and the Block it W is. looks it great. It's like the Block M of Michigan. Very cool logo. Block W is great. looks great in a hat. You can sell a ton of merch. 
looks good. And you can fold in all that other bullshit you've put in there that you're saying is something to do with Washington. You can fold all that in, in extra t-shirts. You can still have George Washington on the sideline. Yeah. Still have a red wolf. It's all you under can. the umbrella of we're just Washington. I like that. Fold it in like folding a meringue. It's all good, baby. <laughs> um, let's talk about Washington on the field. Okay. And we've got to say, the question here, Ollie, is, is this the best defense in the NFL? And how far can that defense take them in this NFC East division, which I'll tell you what, is not exactly the most spectacular in the world. No, I, I think that they are the best defense in the NFL. I think with Ron Rivera there, they will be. If you just rattle through the top line talent, just the banner names, who they have, forgetting the depth and all that stuff. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, William Jackson III, Kendall Fuller. I mean, it's about as good as that six or seven. I can't remember. Stacked. That is so loaded. And when you watch them, when you watch them last year, those are all young guys coming right into the peak of their of their career. They have that that almost Ravens Broncos look. Those classic defenses are where they somehow look bigger, faster, stronger than everyone when they're all on the same diets in the same league, getting paid the same amount of money. And it makes no sense how a defense can be that much bigger and faster than another professional team. They are so quick and so big. You know, they just said, let's go get the best linemen from every top college in, in the country because those guys must be good, right? <laughs> let's just go to the SEC and Ohio State, give me their best player. And magically, that means you're bigger and stronger than everyone else and quicker. So I, I, I think love they it. have a chance to be the best defense in the league. And, and one of those defenses that can carry you into the postseason and give you a real shot in a playoff game if Ryan Fitzpatrick can, you know, do some stuff, can do Ryan Fitzpatrick stuff. Fitzmagic, he will do Fitzmagic. He will do some stuff. So what's that going to result in in terms of a win total, Ollie? I think they can win 11 games. They are another team where you have to point out the vaccine stuff. They have the lowest vaccination rate in the league. I think it's criminal when the coach is immune compromised and has begged begged these players, done everything in his power, has brought in every expert, has had the people who created the vaccine in the building to answer questions, has gone above and beyond, has said, I am scared to be at our practice field because I am compromised on this. And he has the lowest vaccination rate in the league. It's really disappointing. And that could hurt them. They don't have the same kind of tension as Zimmer has, where it's like the coach going at the players. I think he's more disappointed. That classic, like, I'm sure you're aware as a father, that cliche of the not he angry, he get disappointed. It. He's, 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 he's only just about to turn three. He does not get that yet. He just slaps <laughs> me in the face. He doesn't get it. It's more of a, they could genuinely lose guys for two games and a whole host of guys because of how low their rate is. Um, I think they're at like 74%, whereas the majority of the league's at 92%. You know, it's a, it's a big difference if you lose that core for two games. That's the difference between everyone losing their jobs and making the playoffs. So um, that does factor into it for me, but I'm still going to give them 11 wins. I think they 11 win is division. the win total. Yeah, I, I, I think they win the division. I was going to say 10, um, but I can see 11 completely. What you've just told me, though, I didn't really understand that about the immunocompromised bit. That does make me not want to pull for them now, whereas previously I was kind of in their, in their um, camp. Anyway, let's keep going. Let's move on to those Philadelphia Eagles. And again, we've got um, a quarterback who's departed in Carson Wentz, and now we've got Jalen Hurts as the man there. I feel this, this Philadelphia team is one of those that's going to be lost in the mix somewhere, and I don't believe Jalen Hurts is is going to be the answer. But what's your view, Ollie? Yeah, as we record this, I just watched them get waxed in preseason by the Patriots uh, last night. They're just, they're just not talented. And I think people are trying to talk themselves into it because they like some of the, the Brandon Grahams and some of the guys who've been around five, six years as being really top-level players. 
and they still have pieces on the offensive line. Everyone knows Lane Johnson, everyone knows Kelsey, but they're in kind of that Saints territory I was talking about before where you start to see the aging, you start seeing Kelsey being one year too far, and maybe he was, you know, the second or third best center in the league, and now maybe he's the 12th, and Lane Johnson's maybe, you know, the 30th best tackle in the league starting on either side and that's a massive drop off from being top five to that kind of level even if they have the, the name brand stuff um like the receiving core love bringing in smith rager explosive dallas goddard brilliant elite tight end that's helpful but i do think that it's going to be a top to bottom rebuild i don't think jalen hurts is good enough uh, and i just don't think the roster is very talented and also their coach Oof. yeah what is the deal with that bloke i do not know I, I cannot imagine how he went into a job interview Ugh. and and they said, yes, you know, we've talked to Eric Bienemy and we've decided that we're going to go with Nick. I just cannot fathom that. It It's bonkers, mate. Some of the stuff he was saying, and again, with having a child who's nearly turning three and we were doing potty training as well recently, which I'll tell you what, that's intense. Anyway, um, uh, right, just to, just to deviate in that direction. I now have so many pictures of poos in potties on my phone just because you're so proud when it happens. And then also the amount of times he just missed his opportunity, he just missed getting to the potty in time. So he pooed in his pants, and but his pants are like down around his knees. <laughs> and then I've had to catch the poo as it oh. fell out of his pants. And how does Whoa. one do that? How does one what, do, do that? Just drops in your hand, mate, and it's there. And then you have no. to transport. Yeah, it drops in your hand. It's, it's, <laughs> it's in a child strain or some kind of catcher. No, so he just it's in his pants and he's taking his pants down and it's there as a big ball. And you just basically oh. gotta go, well, I gotta take that out because to be quite honest, his the pants are still around his legs, so it's gonna wobble and fall out anyway. <laughs> so you just catch it, mate. I've got good at poo catching. Oh. Anyway, where was I? Where did I start with this particular anecdote? Yeah, potty trading is hard work. But in terms of um, the hell was I saying? Yeah. So while that's all going on, you take a very fleeting interaction with the NFL and the news that's going on. But all of the stuff I heard from his interviews, I was just like, this guy's an NFL head coach. He sounds absolutely crackers. They picked him. I, I just cannot fathom how he was the guy in the interview who blew you away. They always say they blew you away in the interview. It's like, the guy did not call plays, has not called plays. Isn't exactly the guy who's scheming up the offense. He's with a bunch of guys who were super smart in Indianapolis who are known as being the great play designers. He clearly is not a leader of men. That's come across in his press conferences. The Athletic had a big report in like week two of his reign where they were like, the players are a bit like, what is happening? Who is this guy? He seems <laughs> not intelligent, which I know sounds really rude, but like that is what his own players are saying. And I know players get cut and they, they move on from teams. So everyone holds a grudge, but you very rarely hear other than certain, you know, every now and then, you know, this happened with Hugh, Hugh Jackson and um, Cleveland and stuff. People allude to a head coach's intelligence and that and usually if they don't have the intelligence in a private rapport they're still they're beloved because they're still great guys and that's how they got the job they were really charismatic Hugh Jackson really charismatic players really liked him at least in Cincinnati and in Oakland didn't go so well in Cleveland but was beloved by those teams those those Raiders guys cried when he didn't get the full-time job you know it's not often that he's not intelligent and can't talk to human beings <laughs> I think it's going to be amazing I hope he's good wouldn't it be great to have a div as, as the best coach in the league? Div, I've not heard the word div in a while. It would. But what win-win total are you giving the Eagles then, Ollie? 
I think they're in play for the number one overall pick. Honestly, I think this could be a three-win season. I was going to go for three because I feel harsh giving somebody one or two, but I was going to go for three. Let's go three. Now, let's move on to how about them Cowboys? Now, I have grave, grave concerns, Ollie, and this is the thing that you flagged on our show notes in terms of what we want to talk about. So first of all, you know, what does the defense look like? But then Dak Prescott, again, brought it down to the quarterback. Something is up there, mate. Something is up. And I don't think whatever it is that is up is going to be fixed quickly. Or at least if he's in the lineup, there are going to be physical repercussions as to what he's able to do. And that's going to have a massive impact, obviously, on how this Cowboys team can perform. So let's touch on the defense first, then let's talk Dak. So let's talk defense. Defense-wise, it cannot get much worse than last season, right? And you're hoping that by bringing Parsons in, who is kind of an all-gas, no-break roamer at linebacker, that he can maybe bring a a little extra oomph to the team. Um, I I still have big question marks about Dan Quinn and kind of this next evolution of the league where everyone is going. We kind of sit off. It's three. It's dime across the board. Three safeties basically playing a split safety look every time, cover for match coverage. That's what the league is now going to. And he still is. No, I rotate my safety to the line of scrimmage. I, I'm going to play as if I still have Earl Thomas and Cam Chancer and Richard Sherman and all the boys that made me famous. And it's a lot to ask of guys like Demonte Kazee and Quandre Diggs. Those just, you know, all those players, they may not go to the Hall of Fame because not all their numbers are great, but everyone who watched that team knows all those lads belonged in the hall of fame. <laughs> Every single, there's probably six guys in that Seahawks defense because you can go up to Avril and Bennett too, if you want, they probably all belong in the hall of fame. You just never get that collection of talent together. Usually who are so perfectly built for that specific system. So to keep running the thing with guys who are just not close to that level, that is my concern that they, their only hope is that they got Lawrence and Gregory off the edges who are game wreckers. And then if Parsons can bring something that linebacker and does that unlock Van Der Esch or Jalen Smith in a way who, you know, when they drafted Van Der Esch, it was like, well, this might be the best young linebacker tandem in the league. Then all of a sudden they were a disaster. And then you're watching hard knocks and Van Der Esch is like asking Parsons, why are you working so hard? He's like, because we're in the NFL. <laughs> like, <laughs> telling the rookie that, y'all, Yo, you're going too hard. He's like, but we paid. <laughs> it's, it's like they gave me an insight as to how that de- decline would come around. You know. So defense is looking a bit shaky then, but what's your opinion on Dak after what I said? Uh, I, it's troubling. It's really bizarre. I, I don't know if you watched the first episode of Hard Knocks, but it was just it's so... I, I did, I did. I've not watched the second one yet um, because it's, it's actually quite nice. Actually. It's a tradition. Me and my wife actually watch it together. Um, and her mum's here at the moment because obviously the baby's coming. But yeah, I saw the first one. I was just like, this isn't right. So I the first one was amazing. So my girlfriend, Rachel, she was an athletic trainer at Texas A&M the year after uh, Johnny Football and that was there. So talking about injuries and athletic training stuff is, is amazing for me now. I just learn all about the injuries and how they're doing stuff wrong. When Love you it. have your coach say to your athletic trainer, well, why aren't we taking him off to go and get some rehab? Shouldn't we start trying to find out it's what it is? disturbing, isn't it? And then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll do that. It's like, hang on a second. What is happening? They're not going to go and check what's wrong with him? And then you've got Mike McCarthy swagging around because he's all analytical Mike McCarthy now. And he's like panicking oh, that God. the heart rate monitor's going over 420 and all that stuff. It's just such a crazy situation. And to have an athletic trainer who that guy in Dallas has been there 26 years now. And he says, I've never seen this injury. I've only seen it in baseball players. We're going to have to contact two baseball teams. That is that is really... That- Really, it's very, very concerning. And then you couple that with the Troy Aikman thing. I don't know if you saw that. I did an interview last week 
as I said, that that train has been there 26 years. Obviously, it's the Jones family. Everyone in the Cowboys, it's a family organization. Those guys have been there for 30 years. They've all been there with Jerry Jones throughout. Troy Aikman knows everyone. And Troy Aikman never breaks the seal, ever. Not, you know, not in the commentary booth, I'm not saying that, but he never divulges any internal Cowboys matter ever. He takes it to his grave. So for him to say, I think it's really bad. They're not telling us what's happening. Everything I've heard mm. is this is not good. That is a five alarm fire that this guy who doesn't say anything is like, I think it's probably worse than we're being led to believe. I'm guessing it's a mess. The guy isn't throwing any balls at the moment. And they've not exactly got Andy Dalton sat behind. No, big old Ben Danucci, come on down. Jesus Christ! I mean, if if Dak, if if Dak isn't on the field, right, this is a a three four win team. Yeah. If if Dak is on the field at full strength, then I think they could win 10, 11 games at a push. Yeah. Um, if he's if he's if he's half assed Dak, then maybe it's somewhere in the middle. But this is a big range here, depending on what's going on with Prescott. Yeah, I mean, they could have the most explosive offense in the league. Mari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, Tyron Smith is back. They're saying he's healthier than before. Again, they're in the same situation we spoke about with those other offensive line, the Eels and the Saints, where you know they're kind of still living on reputation to an extent, and those guys have been banged up and injured now for a few years, and people still think the Cowboys' offensive line is good when those teams they thought were great three of those guys don't play for them anymore <laughs> you know it's just martin who's still the best guard in the league and smith who's really fallen off a cliff because the injuries have just become too much um so they still need something from that o-line um but yeah if if Dak's good if he's healthy it, they've built such a wonderful system around him and he's so tailor built for that kind of power run with play action and then deep bomb type system i mean it's perfect for him like you said they could win 10 11 12 games and have a real shot competing uh, it's just to, to go into a season where your quarterback's having an arm strain well he's not going to throw the ball less in the season is he so it's bonkers mate it's absolutely yeah. bonkers let's move on and let's finish off this nfc half of the nfl preview with the new york giants and a team that you know we don't really hear much about to be honest ollie um joe judge is he is he the right man for the job what do you think uh, not based on all the stuff that's coming out of their training camp. Now, he does seem to be one of those abrasive guys who revels in almost like that military-esque thing of like it's dividing mm. concrete, it's us against them. There's a reason the guys who got cut hate me, but there's you know the guys who play for me are going to love me again. It's that Bill Parcell, Parcells type uh, temperament to it all, which is like if I just push them as hard as possible, the ones who stay with me will like me and bleep the guys who leave. I don't care. Um, I, I just, I don't like him as a game day coach. I think he's pretty terrible as a game day coach um they are wholly reliant now on some kind of giant leap from daniel jones and to give them some kind of credit they have invested in adding kenny galladay and adding Kadarius tony and adding pieces around him so it is a zero excuse situation and it's hard to ask anyone to make a josh allen level jump that's an unprecedented leap we've seen for a player but they need him to at least be justin herbert you know, Herbert was only in the league one year and it was extraordinary on third downs. And then, you know, some inconsistencies because he's a young player. They need that kind of leap. Um, I like them defensively. I think they got talent. The only issue is they, they paid mad money for kind of average players because Gettleman, the GM, believes in pay you guys, look after you guys. So they paid like crazy money to keep Leonard Williams after having one decent year in, you know, five years of bang average to poor play. Um, so... So back to Daniel Jones, Ollie. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they said you said they need that leap from him, but is that really something that they can expect? 
It's tough because any evaluation you do of Daniel Jones is pretty unfair given the injuries they've had, the fact that they they their whole offensive line is guys they drafted in the last three years. So and that they believe if you ask any offensive line coach, and we'll get to this with the Chiefs later on, they would say, give me continuity overall talent. I'd rather have the same guys for three years than you give me, um, you know, you bring in off the street all top five picks. Give me the same guys. The communication that, you know, the head nods, the winks, the understanding of, well, he moves his left foot first, so I should have my body position here. We like to run duo together. We can do this. We can't do that. He climbs the second level well, I don't. That type of thing. They would rather have that. So they have had these guys developing underneath the surface now for three years, plus they brought in the rookie this year. How that gels will be massive. And I, I do like that idea of like, let's roll with these guys together. So Daniel will know, well, when we run quick, uh, quick stuff, this guy gets beat quickly. So I've got to slip and slide to the right. Nice. But when I run longer developing stuff, he's able to reestablish position. I'll slip and slide to the left. That kind of knowledge of you know, the, the makeup of your own line is so important. And that's what the continuity is all about. So I think it's unfair to kind of do any evaluation on him before this year, before he's had weapons, before he's had an O-line that's either had talent or continuity. They've given him everything this year. It's a line with continuity. There's first-round talent all over it, and he's got a good performer. I'm going to go see whether that happens. So do you want to throw out a win total for the Giants? Uh, I think seven. Does that sound right? I think seven sounds fair, to be quite honest. They're not as a, a basket case as some of the other teams we've looked at, particularly in this division as well, Ollie. I mean, could the Giants compete? They could. I mean, if Daniel Jones takes a leap, they could. I still think they've got great athletes on defense. I think they're quite heavy and lumbersome. And I think they paid mediocre guys, um, which has really sapped them of depth. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But there you go, Ollie. That brings us to the end of the NFC. Oh, 16 teams. Oh my it was a bonanza. What's the clock on this episode? That's got to be upwards two hours, right? Two hours, it 10 minutes? It must be. Jesus, wow. there you go. Let's see if we can last that long talking about the AFC <laughs> or whether we shot our load and we've got nothing left. Um, fantastic, Ollie. So this is going to go up on the site. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone will be able to give this a listen. Um, and then we'll be following this up with the AFC preview as well, which will be coming at people shortly. Yes. Fantastic. Now, if they want to follow you, Ollie, people on Twitter or wherever else, where can they find you? At Ollie Connolly, read The Guardian, subscribe to The Read Optional, thereadoptional.substack.com. Go and subscribe. First few weeks, month is free. Everything's free. Sample it. Give it a go. If you like it, buy me a pint. There you go. Give it a taste. Or complain directly to Ollie's superiors <laughs> at The Guardian. <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, Wow. You know what, Ollie? It was a pleasure to get back and talk again. It really, really was. And I, you know, if there's interest out there and it's reviving the podcast, it's definitely something that I would think about doing, just not probably for the next six months, at least, <laughs> while I try and deal with two sets of poo. Um, but there you go. So, Ollie, I suppose for now, it's goodbye from you. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Have yourselves a great day, week, month, whatever it is. Take care. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is weird. It's been so long. Okay, here we go. I can't look at you while I do it. <laughs>